Or even just like, dude, it cracks me up. Like to see this multi, you know, huge billionaire, the richest man on earth. He posts a picture of Bill Gates looking fat as shit because Bill Gates fucking nagged him. And he says, he says, if you want to lose a boner fast, look at this. (laughs) I'm just like, dude, this guy doesn't give a fuck. And that is who I want running Twitter. cooking everybody i am joined in the bunker today by my friend famous dill and if you didn't hear episode 56 when he was in here dill is the guy who sings the jordan belfort song if you don't know that song that's the one that goes i be getting dirty money jordan belfort you know that song you've heard it it's it anyway we recorded this episode about two and a half weeks ago because i had had it on the calendar for months so that's my bad so it was right before that Terra crash happened, hence why that will not be mentioned in here. I just want to make a note of that. Other than that, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope you guys will as well. If you're on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button, please hit that like button, and as always, would love to hear from you down in the comment section below. To everyone who is listening on Apple or Spotify, thank you for checking out the show over there. If you wouldn't mind leaving a five-star review on either one of those platforms, and of course following, if you haven't already, that goes a long way and would be very much appreciated. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trampfire. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the nuance? You're giving opinions and calling them facts. Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. It's the late nights more than anything. It's like the best stuff for the clips happens at like, you know, call it 2, 3 a.m. So it's like I start, I start, pull that mic in a little bit if you don't mind. Um, I start like grinding probably like good stuff where the phone starts going quieter and people aren't calling at like 10. And then, you know, next thing I know, it'll be like 4.30. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, I feel you, man. I like to work like in the morning. You know, I'm, you're a morning guy. Uh, yeah, I'm with definitely music? more of a morning guy. Well, music is tough because, you know, I live in an apartment, so I don't want to wake everyone up. And I already know I'm loud. I already know I'm loud. So. <laughs> like, I don't want to push it too much. What's uh, as far as like where you're recording these days? Do you do a lot of it just at your place, or are you hitting the studio still? Yeah, I record most of my stuff at my place. I have a pretty good setup, but I go to the studio from time to time. But actually, most of my recorded music I've recorded myself. So going to the studio would be something different. Right. And that's also, you know, there's like time and money with all that too. But yeah, yeah, because I've been looking at, at a lot of like when you see some of the videos of behind the scenes and stuff, it seems like maybe the pandemic brought a lot of this forward. But so many big artists, they just have a setup that's pretty simple because the whole, I forget what it's called, but not not the shock thing. I forget the terms. I'll fuck it up. But like they can basically record now in open spaces and make it sound like it's a closed recording environment. Yeah, I mean, at least for my recording history, I've never really understood why. Like, you don't need a padded, closed recording booth. Like, that might be good to get a real nice, clean sound, but I've always just recorded in an open room into a mic. You know, we get like a reflection filter that goes around like this, yeah. and a pop filter in front, and, pop filter, yeah. and, and then that's all. I mean, for me, that gets a nice clean sound. 
But then there's people who are perfectionists and like, you know, it's at a, cer at a certain level of funding or a certain level of, you know, connections. It's like, why not? But for me, I'm just trying to make it, you know, connect all the dots and make it work. So I record at home. I mix and master my own stuff really out of necessity, right? Because I don't have the funding or the support of like a label or something like right. that. And, you know, and, and in many ways, I haven't really even had that many people to work with until recently. So... Uh, yeah, but I guess as it scales up, I'll probably do more like studio recording and stuff like that. Gotcha. Because you were working, you were working at Mason's place a little bit, right? Uh, yeah, Breed. with Mason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, been working at Breed a bit. I mean, we made some cool stuff over there, but as of now, I haven't recorded anything for like my personal albums over there. So, I definitely like to go to a studio environment to like collab and stuff like that. But on some level, I don't want to pay out of pocket to go to studio sessions when I can record and mix master myself, you know, like that mm. is, a, that's a bunch of skills that I've learned over the years to where it's like, that is part of my value add to the process. It's like, I can put out music that I record and mix and master myself. So it doesn't cost me that much, but I still have to pay for beats. Cause I don't produce yet. I still have to pay people in the artwork the beats and all those parts of the process. So there's still that part to it, you know? So it's like you got to decide like what you're going to spend your money on, you know? Yeah, there's like there's so many bits and pieces into like creative work and I'm just thinking from outside and like music that people don't think about that is basic for a product to get out and be pretty good, but it's a lot. And like I admire the fact that you've been doing I mean, soup to nuts in a lot of ways, like everything on your end and the big thing was, you know, you were in here like a year ago and I don't know how much we talked about it on camera, maybe a little bit, but especially off camera when we were having a conversation, you were pounding the table on how people were not talking about like NFTs in the sense of music and what oh, they yeah. what they could do for like freedom within music. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. I hadn't looked at it at all in, mm -hmm. in that sense at that point. Mm -hmm. And I'd just been watching you. And th this is this is your life. This is what you've been doing. You've been like kind of yeah. leading the way in that entire space. And I'm very curious why a lot of artists still have yet to follow suit because yeah. there's been there you've had a pretty good case study so far yeah i mean i would say from then to now we've seen a complete shift where now i would say nfts are on most artists radar whether they're a traditional artist or a music artist i think most artists are starting to look at nfts now there's still In music uh, I would say, yeah, they, that most artists kind of have an idea that, okay, there's a thing called an NFT. But you got to understand that that's coming a long way from, you know, last time I was in here, I would say most art music artists had no idea what an NFT is. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. 
With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And there was no hints that NFT was going to be big for music. But now you got Snoop Dogg, you know, doing music NFTs. You is got- he doing music NFTs or is he doing like a drop like of art? I didn't yeah, it. he did a music NFT drop. So he did a whole music NFT album, which was cool. You got big artists like him coming into the space doing stuff. You got other big artists starting to come in. So I think some of the OGs are starting to understand it. And the music industry is definitely taking it seriously now. But yeah, I mean, I've been a great case study for that. I've been one of the highest selling independent artists in all of Web3 and music NFTs. Damn. So. That has been amazing for me, especially it's just me. Like, you know, I don't have a team. I don't have a label. I just have me and my business. So it's been amazing to build a community where I have over a thousand collectors um, that are supporting me. And I've made more selling my NFTs in the last year than I got paid from the record label from a multi-platinum hit spread out (laughs) over seven years. So it's crazy. It's it's, it's actually game-changing. So like, plus with that, hit the reason i got paid so little is we're talking about jordan belfort yeah people that don't know right so with that the reason that i got paid so little is because i gave up all my ownership so not only have i sold as much nfts this year as the entire payment that i've gotten from that song but i still own 100 percent. so realistically Mm. i'm going to get those royalties for the long term because i still own that music so it's it's completely game changing right and it, it basically it not only takes the label out of the situation, but it means the artist doesn't have to give up all of their ownership, too. Well, that's the thing that is such a no-brainer to me. And what I'm what I'm not really sure about is what the label attitude has been behind the scenes. Because when I first looked at this concept, and again, it's got to develop, so i got to see how it actually works and, and whether or not fans are able to finance everything like through an NFT. But when I look at it in theory, I'm like, well... If you could just basically like raise money from the people who fuck with you, mm-hmm. why why do you need a label? Right. I mean, that's exactly what it's going for. And like the labels are always going to have their connections. You know, they're always going to have the the benefits that, and the advantages they have. So, you know, there there's still some benefit to working with a label. But it's like now I can basically sell to the people who want to support me, who want to be a part of my journey and they get rewarded when I win instead of the label. Right. So, you know, I've done six figures of music NFT sales and so far that's created almost a million dollars in market cap for my community. And so that would have never been possible in web two in the traditional world. I mean, what do you mean a million dollars market cap for your community? So that's the market cap of all my NFTs. Right. So so the people that have bought into my NFTs, like most of them are doing really well in right, terms of the holders. appreciation and the price of their NFT. Right? right. So basically now my album has this million dollar NFT market cap that never would have been possible in the traditional industry. I mean, perhaps I could convince a label that my album is worth a million dollars because of like potential and you know, the long-term idea of a crypto album, but that would be even, that would be a hard sell, right? Because labels are going to say, all right, well, you know, we only care about streams or we only care about TikTok or something like this. But the NFT community that and my community that I've built sees the value of that, right? So 
this album that's made probably $10,000 from streaming has a million dollar market cap in Web3 and NFTs because those people can understand what I'm building and understand the value of what I've connected my NFTs to. So it's really cool because it basically allows you to tap into that future value that the label has for so long protected and guarded because that's their yeah. business model, right? Their business model is to take advantage of the cash, of the fact that they have all the cash and the artist is in a rush, right? What was your deal again, by the way? Like when mm -hmm. you signed over the rights to Jordan Belfort, there was, there's the publishing and then fuck. Yeah. I'm so out so right now. there's publishing and then masters, masters. right? Yeah. So, so what was your percentage cut on that? So we sold 82%. So we were left with 18% split between me and Wes Walker. Of so, the masters or the, or the publishing? Of the masters. So the publishing was 50% us, 50% Phil Collins, because the beat sampled a Genesis song. Which was also kind of bullshit. Like, you couldn't even yeah. really tell. Yeah, but, I mean, that that's debatable. Some people really do know it. And so... That's up in the air, but that's okay. That that's really not a big deal because we're the publishing there. We're talking about less than less than ten percent of the total revenue. The mm. real problem is that the record label paid us an advance of thirty thousand dollars, which in hindsight is really nothing compared to not only what this record made but what they purchased. Because for that thirty thousand dollars, they purchased this music video. Jordan mm. Belford music video that looks like it has maybe, I don't know, $100,000, $200,000 budget on that video. I mean, the video is incredible, right? So now that I think back on it, I realized that they just looked at it like, okay, we'll give them this, you know, loan. We can call it a loan at best. And at the end of the day, they probably just felt like they were paying for the music video. When, so, did, when did this happen in the context of the song? Like this was right after we had shot the music video. So it was like before we had given the music video some time on YouTube to just take the natural course, but like right in that early stage. And so this was probably uh, 2015, 2016. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, basically what it comes down to is they they don't pay you. They give you a loan. And, and what I always say is this, the, the music industry deals are worse than the worst loan you would see kevin on shark tank give seriously imagine if kevin on shark tank said i want to give you a thirty thousand dollar loan and i get 100 percent royalty until it's paid back yeah like that if you if you heard this on shark tank it would sound ridiculous because no one ever does it i mean shark tank like you know one of those shark deals it's like i'll give you a hundred thousand dollars with a 10 percent royalty till i get paid at paid back right the music industry is I'll give you $30,000 and I get 100% royalty until it's all paid back. And then after that, you only get 18%. I mean, yeah, it see, is that's completely the crazy backwards, part. completely backwards. So they get, they give you a $30,000. I'm just like thinking on the timeline of it, though. This is right when the song was blowing up. So you were making money on the song. Thousand, we were selling thousands a week independently. But we, I mean, but still like 30,000 looked like a lot when you're making like a couple thousand a week or something. But we didn't understand the long-term vision because like right. we were young. And, and now that like I 19. look back, yeah, we were 18, 19 at the time. And now that I look back, I'm like, wow, the music video alone could have got, we could have charged them $30,000 cash for the music video yeah. i mean the music video should have been a payment of thirty thousand just for them to own that so 
I mean, looking back and understanding a lot more about the industry, I feel like that the label saw a very good opportunity to get one over on us, and we didn't know any better. But they also didn't – the thing that pissed me off about your situation, and this does happen, is that they didn't – it seems like they didn't have any type of plan. They just wanted to be able to say it, – it's almost like they were trying to get a participation trophy like, okay, we got this song on the books. Remember that Jordan Belfort song? That was us. That was our guy. And then boom. Yeah, I mean, that's their game plan, right, in a lot of ways. So I think they, they just try to find these opportunities – but the biggest problem is that they wouldn't reinvest in us, right? And, right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so for me, it's like I was trying to send them songs. I was trying to get some other work done. But they were only focused on this one follow-up single. And then once we got that done, it was like they ghosted us, right? And not only that, but like the follow-up single had to be like so the way they wanted it. And there was so much focus on making like this one follow-up single to Jordan Which Belfort. single was that again? This song, Haters, which is a fine song. In my opinion, it's not, it's kind of inconsequential. Like, I have another song called Hey, What's Up, Hello that I was trying to show them for years. I ended up making my own independent music video. It's dope. I made it in Philly. Now, that record has more streams than the follow up single. That, that follow up single is supposed to have a $50,000 marketing budget behind it. So, you're telling me that with a, with a $50,000 marketing budget, now we look back a few years later, and my song that I didn't put anywhere near fifty thousand into, and I'm not Atlantic Records, right? Shouldn't fifty thousand from Atlantic Records be like a hundred thousand of what an independent artist could possibly do? But I've spent, you know, maybe a couple thousand between the music video and and just my own time and energy on that song, and here we are with more streams than this, you know, follow up song from the label. So to me, it's just like. They never really wanted to reinvest in me. Like a better way to do it would have been if they could have, you know, supported me to continue making music, continue releasing and have some kind of strategy. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is the problem of working with a label, especially a big label, is that unless you are their superstar, they don't really have the time of day for you. And the other the other thing is like they they don't they're not necessarily in the business of reinvesting in me as an artist who did a single song deal with them with a follow up deal. You know, they're very much yeah. about about yeah. contracts and obligations and you know, I think in some ways I may have not just fit the bill for what they were looking for. So Well, that's the other thing. You know. There it's so like what was that conversation like when they you said the follow up single haters which I know that song, and that song had a lot of potential. It did. Yeah, it has potential. It had a lot of – there's a couple things missing, but, like, the genesis of that song is actually pretty good. But, like, what was that – how did that conversation come up? Did you come up with the concept of the song, and then they came to you and said, okay, cut all this, cut all this. We actually want the song to sound this way or whatever? No, nah, it was like we were coming up with songs that we liked and stuff, but the only thing that they were willing to accept is a song that came from them that was created and influenced by someone from their team, and it had to be what they wanted. So it didn't matter what we thought was good. It ha and if and if we had brought them something unique and original, that would have been no because they wouldn't be able to say, "Oh, our people made that." So it had so like they wanted something produced by their people, like like engineered by Did their you write people, it? like like written with their team. And they're mm. and and you know now that I think back I'm like okay now I get it like every single person that was there like took a writing credit on my right. song and like it you know the problem with my song hey what's up hello is that I made recorded mixed and mastered everything myself so when you look at that song 
you know, the only way to get a label deal is if they're going to give me another advance and buy a piece of that song. And so they don't want to do that. They would rather have the money stay in the in the family, right? So that's what I've learned is like when you work in the industry, you start to realize that you have to do business their way, right? And what NFTs allows us to do is to go directly to the fans. So it's right. like, I'm going to do what's best for my fans and my supporters and my audience. And then if I do well, they get rewarded. And they get rewarded without basically, you know, sucking my life blood for the rest right. of time. Um, and so I think that is the revolution. And I have arrived at this point from just struggling through the music industry and trying to recover from this situation. But, you know, I, I, it's like sometimes I speak, maybe I speak a little too negatively because on the positive side, it's like I got a foot in the door at the music industry. Right. I learned very early on how this works. I learned enough to tell me, don't take the deal. Now that I have this NFT thing going on, now that I have 100% ownership of this crush, you know, killer album that I'm so proud of, at least now I know, like, hey, don't sell it. Hey, when the label comes calling, know your value, right? So at, at the same time, I do believe everything happens for a reason. Like, I'm a little spiritual like that. And so I think that what happened to me is what's now sent me down the road to, like, make this yes. comeback and know what I know now and hopefully create some kind of change in the world and the way that, you know, things are done in the music industry. And you've also kind of like expanded your horizons through it though, too. It's not even just, yeah. it doesn't have to stop at music. Like to me from the outside, just looking at it 30,000 feet in the air, it almost feels like the focus hasn't even been on the songs you're creating. It's yeah. like you are, You've been the guy who was pounding the table with some legitimacy, not someone who was like a totally unknown artist or anything. You've had legitimacy yeah. in the industry saying, hey, guys, this is the way. And you're showing all these other people like, okay, I, you started with just some basic drops around your Crypto Rich album and everything. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, let's find the fans, bring them in here, allow them to invest if they want to. They don't have to, right? right? So your work has to be good enough that people want to do it. And right. then you get them in the door. And now suddenly all these, all the little bullshit, you know, paying for the artwork, paying for studio time, if you still want to do that, stuff mm -hmm. like that. This is now funded directly through a transparent process where fans understand that. And I think, you know, to me, looking at, where some of the attitudes are with NFTs, the thing that scares me, and this isn't music NFTs, this is mm -hmm. NFTs as a whole, because I'm a fan, obviously, like yeah. we've done podcasts on it. But the craze was so big when it started, you know, like January, February, March 2021. And then it started to mature as the industry shifted so quickly with all that, you know, board apes and collections and stuff coming up. But what I find is that you have your... I think Geo gave me the number. I could fuck it up, but whatever it is, like 750,000 people, I think in America, who are involved in the communities, right? Mm -hmm. Who are who are all all in NFTs, all about it, see it as the future. And then you also have the rest of the population. And in order to get mass adoption, you got to get the rest of the population. And the thing that scares me is that a lot of people that I go to talk to who aren't into NFTs, I say the word NFT and they look at me like I have 10 heads. Now, all technology has been like this at some point. You could sure. have said that about the iPhone. Yeah, at some I was going to say same thing about Bitcoin. Like I'm totally yes. used to this idea of like 
being into something where when you tell it to most people, they go, oh, isn't that a scam? Like I'm used, right. I've been in this for a while, but so why, um, so here's the question. Yeah. Why isn't it with this? Like well, how, how do you explain it to like the person who has no fucking clue what they're talking about? Yeah. Well, I mean to that, to someone like that with music, especially I talk about like collectible vinyls. Like you can look at Nirvana, for mm. example, and look at the way that Nirvana released collectible vinyls. And I I'm actually, not familiar with that. Can you explain that? Yeah. So he'll have like a one of 1000 collectible vinyl for one of his albums, or you might have like a gold version, one of 100, or you might have like a rare platinum one and and i don't know exactly but you can look up nirvana's collectible albums and you'll find a bunch of information about it and so that's one way to look is at dave it dave grohl doing this or like what's the what's the project here like the, this is know? this is the way he released physical collectible albums like years ago so th this is nothing new for the music industry we're just digitizing this process of having collectible music pieces so these are uh, vinyl collectibles that you can look up where there's different editions and they're worth something. And and so some examples are like the Beatles White Album. Uh, one of those editions, if you have a solid condition, can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, there's an Elvis album that's worth a lot. There's the Wu-Tang album that sold for $4 million last year. Yeah. And so just like what crypto is doing with money, you're taking you know money, a currency, and making a digital version of it. We are doing the same thing with collectible items such as music, right? Think of a, a collectible vinyl. And so we're creating this scarce digital item that people can buy to support the artist. Now, they're not necessarily buying ownership of the record. Just like when you buy a vinyl, you're not buying ownership of that record. Now, you have the record. You can play it. It might be worth something if the artist blows up. And it might come with a merch package, right? If you buy the right collectible vinyl, maybe you'll get a collectible vinyl that comes with a merch package and a VIP ticket to your favorite show. And so now we're getting closer to what we're creating with NFTs. Because when you buy an NFT, you're basically getting a connection to the artist. Artists can choose what they want to deliver, but most music artists are choosing to deliver stuff like a collectible vinyl album. That's something that I'm doing. A merchandise, like this shirt, for example, is something that my mm. NFT collectors are, are going to get. I have merchandise line that I'm connecting to the NFTs. I'm a um, large. Thanks. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I, I also collected to, connected to my music download, right? So you can, of course, download the music and you know use it, use the MP3 files if you want. But most of my collectors are still going to listen on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Now people ask why. You know what did I buy with NFT? Well, here's the thing: if you own NFT, you have a connection to the success of that music. So as soon as you own that NFT, you want to stream the artist more. You want to watch all their YouTube mm, videos and yeah. click like. Because the more people that see their content, the more that you can support them, you know, slowly over time, those NFTs are going to continue to sell and continue to grow their community. So how do you push back on mm. the people that will follow up by saying, okay, well, how's that not like a pump and dump? You're just financially incentivized to push the price up as high as possible, regardless of the quality of the work. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, like you could say that about any asset or stock, like at, yeah. at the end of the day. And so what it, what it comes down to is the price doesn't go up just from hype and that, but it's from building the community. And you have to think of it like a digital real estate, right? Like why is real estate in New York worth so much, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when New York City first started, you could probably just go plop down somewhere on the island and set up your tent, right? Because this was a forest, Yeah. okay? And so NFTs are the same way. And so as an NFT artist, what you're doing is you're saying, how big is my island? How many NFTs am I gonna 
you know, create for myself, my digital brand, right? And so I think people need to understand that it's a form of digital real estate. And as you build more on that digital real estate, it starts to have real appeal and use cases. Why do people go to New York now? Oh, because it's the biggest city in the United States and there's people there actively there working, building every day. And so that's what's happening in my NFT community. If you would have bought last March, you know, you could have paid a couple hundred dollars to get an NFT that's worth thousands of dollars now. So why is it that my collectors made, you know, 10 times their Ethereum in the last year? Well, it's because now we have thousands of collectors that are there building every day, talking to each other, helping each other sell music NFTs, mm. working together. So what people also don't understand about NFTs is you're not just buying a, you know, a picture of my album on a trading card. That's getting you access to my community to work with other people who have similar interests and to be with them. So the way I also describe it is like, my NFT is a digital ticket to a 24-7 virtual concert. Mm. And so you can come to the concert for free and check it out. But unless you have a ticket, you're not going to be in the concert. You're not going to be able to access uh, speaking with us and talking with us. You're not going to have your name as a collector in the community and have full access to our private chats and our private resources that we offer. Mm. So that's kind of what it's become. And then before we get too far away, like I also wanted to bring it back a little bit of like, what is an NFT? It's also yeah. very much like a trading card. Like let's say a rookie card for baseball, right? And so when you buy one of my NFTs, it's like you're buying the dill rookie card, okay? And so I really like the comparisons of like baseball cards or something like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Um, I've often said that what I'm doing with music NFTs is very similar to the way that Pokemon built their brand, okay? Mm. So Pokemon has always sold digital collectibles, specifically trading cards, but other types of items as well. And that's used, used to fund entertainment content, right? Which then increases the value of their brand worldwide. So if like you- Like TV shows and stuff like that. Right, yeah. like Pokemon TV shows, like Pokemon video games, all this, right? But when you think about what you buy with Pokemon cards, at the end of the day, you're buying this product that has some kind of specific use case within the Pokemon ecosystem. And then the Pokemon business is using that money to then fund their entertainment content. And now we're seeing that if you would have bought one of those early edition Charizard cards, you could have made you know hundreds of thousands of dollars by holding this Pokemon card because it was one of the original pokemon cards right so what i'm doing is i'm selling digital collectibles that have a specific use case within my ecosystem you could think of what i'm doing as like a game it's really not much different than a pokemon game where if you have the right cards you can do this and that if you have the right dill nfts you can do this and that in the dill ecosystem so when you buy my nft it has immediate value within my community and within my game. You can really think of it like a game, except the point of the game is to sell music. And so right. the people that are buying my NFT are getting access to my community, my ecosystem, my game, whatever you want to call it. And then I'm using that funding to create entertainment content, which is going to improve the overall value of my ecosystem as well as hopefully the, the cards, right? So yeah, yeah that, that, that's what it comes down to is it's a lot like a sports card or even like betting where you're making a bet on that artist and their ecosystem. What about the other famous pushback? And I, honestly, yeah. like it, I've heard the one Lamborghini explanation before. I think that's pretty good. But like when people say, 
oh well it's digital and i can download it in 4k myself and i can own it and, that's a good one i yeah. like that one i i say please do that's free advertisement for us because mm. everyone that has it on their computer well then other people are going to see it they're going to say what's that right and so anyone can have it on your computer that's no problem like i and say and so the same uh argument comes up about like the songs themselves they say oh well I can listen for free on Spotify. Uh, why would I want the NFT? And all of my NFT collectors would chime in and say, oh, great, please listen on Spotify because you're going to improve the overall value of our NFTs as you help the song progress up the charts, as you help the song get more streams. You know, when that song has, you know, 100 million streams, the NFT is going to be worth more because that song is more successful. So when people say these kind of things, I say, that's awesome. That's what we want. So you don't own anything unless you have the NFT. Right. So it's like anyone can listen to the music for free. And that's why I always say the music has to come first. What I think is silly, mm. I'll say silly because we don't want to say stupid. We don't want <laughs> to make anyone feel stupid. But taking your music away from streaming to put it into NFTs is dumb. Ass backwards. Yes. Okay. Because the music should come first. The NFT, it's like, look. Listen to the music and Web Two on Spotify on YouTube because over there your your listen I love how has you're impact. That in web Two, yeah, that's, that's Web Two, right? <laughs> so your listen has impact over there. Now, if you listen to a song on my OpenSea or if you listen to a song from one of the NFTs you bought, it has no impact. There's no benefit to someone listening to that song from the file or from OpenSea. But the idea is buy and collect and invest in Web3 and buy NFTs and then listen and enjoy and support on Web2 on the places where you can have impact on that artist's future. Well, that's also going to translate as like I'm, as far as the Web3 part goes, that's also going to translate well over time, I think, because, you know, right now you're selling some sort of graphic along with the song file for that example you're giving. Yeah. But five years from now you may be selling a hologram of you performing the song in a yep. never before seen something right yeah and then and suddenly someone owns that so yeah they can listen to the song like everyone else but they're watching you in a hologram that only they have good luck putting that on the internet although they'll probably figure out a way right right yeah no i mean i that's in some ways that's kind of what it already is right because each person owns a unique card or something like that but ultimately, that is just a representation of their ownership in our ecosystem, right? So also, I think people stress out about, like, the image too much and think that it's, like, so important that you're buying, like, this one image as an NFT. When it's, like, it doesn't matter what the image is. You need to look at it more like this is the digital real estate for an artist, right? So what do you mean? Let me, let me, let me explain. So. The 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover comes in queen or king sizes. It goes right on top of your current mattress, and it is the best investment you'll ever make in your sleep because it is wired directly into 8 Sleep's proprietary app, which measures your sleep stages throughout the night and makes sure that everything is optimized around you so that you get the deepest sleep possible, and in the morning, you can even see scientifically how that happened. It'll show you your tosses and turns. It'll show you your REM. It'll show you percentages that talk about like quality sleep and stuff like that. It's a beautiful thing. So if you use the link in my description, along with the Code Trendifier at checkout. That's T R E N D I F I E R. You will get $150 off your own 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover today, and you'll sleep six hours and feel like you slept eight. So check it out. I love, I like to buy NFTs that I love if I love the artwork, right? But when I buy an NFT, the first thing I'm looking at is 
what are all the pieces available from this artist? And of the ones that are near the lowest price, which one do I like best to purchase, okay? And, and what it comes down to is that the value of an NFT is related to the value of that creator. You know, yes. it, you might be able to say that there's some subjective value associated with the content of the art or the quality of the art. But at the end of the day, I think people are way too focused on thinking that like the value is this one of one like art piece on the blockchain, which I, I get that. But the real value is having a piece from that artist. What the content of the piece is doesn't matter. Like if I'm buying a piece of art from an artist, you know, I like the color blue. But if there's a red piece that's cheaper and it's a, of comparable quality and I could save, you know, mm. 10% of the money and instead I just have to have a red piece from that artist instead of blue, then I might do that, especially if I'm just trying to support the artist and make a bet. Now, if I want that piece to go on my wall in my blue room, then okay, I might pay a little more to get the blue piece. But mm. what people need to understand is that like, the actual image, you know, there's different ways you look at this. Sometimes you buy art because you just love the art. Sometimes you buy art because you want to support the artists and you believe in their future. And when it comes down to that, I think it's more about having this uh, piece of digital real estate, a share of their future, a collectible item from their collection. And it's less about like uh, the, you know, the way that they have set that up. So like in my collection, for example, I have some items that are one of one like rare one of one pieces and i have other items that are one of 1000 so there's a, a thousand of this same item on right. the blockchain but that is it's funny because like i said about nirvana that is the same model that they've been doing with vinyls since the 80s or whatever and it's funny because i created this without knowing about the vinyls in the 80s but this just seemed like a natural thing to do it's the next it, look it's the next translation and that's why when I first heard about this and sat down with Cole Canelli and really discussed it in the end of 2020, it made a lot of sense to me. I knew these arguments would come up, the same ones I throw at you just so yeah, that you can bat them down. It's but it's like this is where the world's going. Like when I used to talk about marketing with people when I was first really getting into that and, and trying to figure out why people make decisions to do what they do and buy what they buy, you know, I would always talk about if you're above the age of 25 – in a lot of ways, your opinion has exponentially decreased in value. When you look at every market that's ever been created anywhere at any time in modern history, let's call it, right? It is always driven by the community who's coming of age, right? The 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 generation who's in their past their past puberty, right? Mostly. Right, right. And the ones who are maybe in college, things like that. They drive culture. And so think about the kids now who are literally in college. They have – they don't know a world without an iPhone. Right. Right? Like at least until I was eight years old or something, like we were still playing outside and everything, stuff like that. And we didn't have that fully digital world. We had the right. early internet. These kids don't know that. Uh -huh. So where the fuck do you think they value stuff? They value stuff in the quote-unquote metaverse, which still has a lot of development to go. Yeah. We're very early there. But like even look at – look on the socials. Like – when you do posts and stuff, or posts that start to do well, or look like they're going to do well, when you put them out, what do people do? They comment like first, second, whatever. Right? And I mean, think about this: like nowadays, everybody probably has their, 
you know, treasured Instagram post. Oh, this one did really well. Right. But how many people have their photo book in their house in their drawer anymore? I mean, some people do. I'm not saying they don't. But the point is, a point is that now we have that digital. And so that's the transition that's happening. And here's a really good point to throw this in, right? So I never collected art before two years ago. I don't have, I didn't collect, I had some art on my wall that are cool canvases, but they, I got them cheap online from iCanvas.com. So that sure as hell wasn't collecting art. Now, this isn't because I don't want to collect art per se. Like if I had all the money in the world, sure, I'd have some dope ass art in my house, but still, I don't really collect any real collectible art. But I have a six figure portfolio of digital art as NFTs. So what does this tell you? I am someone who would have never been collecting art from artists now. And now I hold pieces from hundreds of artists around the world. So something is different there, right? And this is what's huge that people inside NFTs get and people outside NFTs don't. I don't want a hundred physical art pieces. I would never hold a hundred physical art pieces. What the hell would I do with them? I, I put uh, 20 on my wall and then it would be full. But I'm down to support artists and their careers, especially if there is some kind of liquidity plan to it. Because when I buy a piece of art from a local artist in Philly and I go pick it up and I bring it to my apartment, I mean, maybe if he becomes the next Picasso, I sell it to the <laughs> Philadelphia Art Museum. But... In 99% of the cases, there's no path to liquidity. But I have bought art from a random artist on the internet who is not Picasso, and I've been able to sell that art because there is a market for it, and it's right there on everyone's phone. Easy and, access. And, and, and the yeah. artist, as long as the artist is going in every day and trying to sell art, and I believe in them, I know they'll find that next buyer. But there is just no incentive for the artist who sold me a piece in Philly and now it's on my wall. They're never going to help me sell that piece. And everyone has access to see their portfolio and see their history. Like this was the big thing with Wahid from Smiles. you know. Yeah. And like last time you were here, you, me and Gio hung out afterwards and we're talking. And that was like right when this whole thing was getting concepted. But like when we saw Wahid's earliest pieces, when he did Pooh Shiesty's album cover two years ago, he just did the new one as well. Yeah. Free poo. But anyway, like when we were first looking at that and then saw his initial piece redoing the the Young Thug and Lil Durk meme and then eventually did like a Kanye piece and stuff, I was looking at that art going, okay, number one, this is amazing. So I believe in it a thousand percent. Number two, when he makes – he's just getting better and better. He's going to keep making great shit. This original stuff is going to go for millions in years because this kid's going to the fucking moon like as, a, as, a, as an artist with his talent and everything. So when people are looking at the development of art come out, you go and buy the piece of art off some fucking guy in Philly, you know – he could just have a kiosk right there. You you wouldn't know the difference, right? Yeah. Whereas that dude's online, you could see everything he's ever done because it's all there in digital format. And you could see like, do I like this? Don't I? Did it get better? Didn't it? Can I judge this? Can I? You know what and, I mean? And the other part is you could see all that. And you can also immediately judge whether or not you're going to be able to resell that piece. So you can decide, hey, is this something that I'm just buying and right. throwing my money you know, in the air like if I bought it from a guy on the street? Or is this someone who has a digital strategy and is making a couple sales a week, and I know they're going hard, they've been here for months, and so when I buy their piece, I say, you know, I'm buying this to support the artist, maybe I'll hang on to it for years, but if all goes well, they're selling a couple pieces a week, so, you know, if six months down the line, if I want to sell it, uh, hopefully I'll be able to 
you know, sell it for what I paid or even more. And that's what's happening in the NFT community right now, too. And like one thing that I've done really well is I started my drops all very low price. I've had a lot of things that were actually free to claim. So uh, collectors just came and got that NFT for free. And so my items that were free are now worth quite a lot. Like I have an item that was free to claim. You could have picked up as many as you want for free. It costed like a $20 transaction fee to get it. Very few people got multiples. And now I just had one of those sell yesterday for over $400. So anyone could have came and bought four of them and they would have $4,000 of NFT value right now. And one of them just sold yesterday. So, I mean, what I've done really well is scaling up my collection. Like one thing I've noticed in this space is you can have these big hype mints that get a lot of hype and they sell out. And a lot of them are usually like these PFP style projects, which for anyone who doesn't know, it stands for profile picture. It's a specific way of doing NFT artworks that generates a lot of images. And so they'll have a collection of thousands of these items and they sell out and they get a lot of hype. But some of the NFT community is a little bit unsustainable, I think, especially on these big hyped up projects. So what I've done well is I've scaled up along the way. You know, I didn't just say, hey, here's 5,000 items. Let's sell them all out and then try to figure it out from there. Right. Like I have created a model that the price increases along the way. And so that's what's allowed me to do approximately six, you know, a little over six figures of NFT sales, but have over a million dollars in NFT market cap because I've created this pricing model that scales up with the community. So that's pretty unique about my collection is that I didn't have this big hyped up sellout, so it's been a lot more of a grind for me, but I have had a lot of value creation. So most of my collectors have actually profited on their NFTs, and that's something that's important to me. But I think a lot of the market right now is about like getting this hype, selling out the drop, you get a big bag of cash, and then it's like, okay, what now? Yeah, that's and, a huge problem. It's a and, huge problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And, and you know, the incentives aren't aren't necessarily correctly aligned either because now you have a team with a huge bag of cash and you know there's a lot of stuff they can do to reinvest but there's it's also tough and it's tough to like you know manage personal you know wants and needs especially when you get a big bag of cash and you're in a new industry with people who you know may or may not really want to focus on this project but for me it's like I have integrated these NFTs with everything that I do. Even, uh, you know, over a year ago in March, I was saying, look, these NFTs are going to give you access to my shows, access to my merch, access to everything I'm doing in my online community. And so I think by fully integrating the NFTs with everything I do, that's built a lot of trust with my community and allowed me to, to slowly scale up. So it's like maybe I haven't sold as much NFTs as the big hype project out there. But now I have a, a thousand collectors who totally understand what I'm doing and they're in it for the long run. And I mean, it's been cool. Like I have these VIP collectors, nearly a hundred of them. And those items were 0.2 Ethereum last year. And now the people who got in then have two Ethereum worth of NFT. So th those ones are up well over 10x and wow. it's a pretty strong handed community. So I'm excited about that stuff. I think that's been one of the cool things for me is to know that like, not only have I gotten funding from my fan base and I'm like promising them these, you know, big future, but I have created a strategy to get the funding and create value along the way. Instead of just like, hey, buy all my art and mate, one day I'll be Picasso. I've created a strategy that's like, hey, buy my art and along the way there's there's value delivery the whole time. Right. And and that's and that's the thing. Like you talk about like the bag of cash move. I was looking at a graph the other day that show that shows me 
a trend that people are just starting to see through that because the the chart was showing for the biggest projects in NFTs, so like Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, I forget the other two, but it was shown for the big ones. And what you saw was the ETH value, the market cap of them going up. And then it said all other projects market cap across NFTs. And you see everything going down overall, which means, you know, there's some success in there. But what's happening is people are realizing a lot of these projects that are coming out, which includes some prominent people just doing like a quick drop or something. They see, well, wait a second. It drops. It gets old. There's nothing else. We're it's fucking the, out of here. It's the hype train, you know? Yeah. There, there's definitely the issue of the hype train. I think this is what um, kind of prompted something I was saying before is that you brought this up. Because, so, like, one of the cool things about NFTs is that they're micro communities, right? So, my NFT, uh, some of them have gone up three to four X in the last month, while the rest of the crypto market has been down. Mm. And so, what's cool about NFTs is it's a micro community. So, the reason that's happened is because I've started this music NFT radio thing. It's completely exploded my community and Twitter engagement and my NFT sales. And so, yeah, you've been you've been killing it in the whole yeah. like networking across the space. What's what's going on on Twitter right now? Yeah. So anyway, like I've had this explosion of engagement, and and that's what people don't understand about NFTs is that my micro community can explode and get a bunch of engagement, and then create a lot of value through the price of my NFTs going up. Independent of the price of Ethereum, independent of the Bored Ape Yacht Clubs, independent of any mint, right? By driving more attention towards you. Because because I had something that happened for me personally in my community, which brought us a lot of attention. And that is so much more powerful than the price of, you know, ETH going down can affect our project. Because And and you're out here setting world records, too. And I'm out here (laughs) setting world records. I am now a world record holder, actually, in the last month. I now hold the world record... Top four. three. Yeah, the top three longest Twitter spaces of all time. <laughs> so I hold the world record at 77 hours on a single Twitter space. 77, 77 hours. 77 hours straight. Are you just um, sitting in there I'm like just waiting. I'm just waiting for the call from Guinness Book of World Records. So <laughs> give me a call. Wait, uh, I'm here waiting for it. What are you doing for 77 hours awake? So no, it doesn't mean I'm awake. I, 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 can't, I, I mean, I could probably stay awake for 77 hours if I really had a reason to, but... <laughs> No, the key is this is a 24-7 radio show. So we're playing music focused on music NFTs and Web3 music. We're playing 24 hours a day radio. We're playing off a playlist that we have of artists. It's 100% community-based organic radio. So the only artists that get plays are the artists who come in, listen, support the show, and join the Mm. community. And so the other cool thing is that you're listening to an artist, and then they're right there live. So, so, you know, you're listening to my song, and then I come in and say, hey, it's Dill. You're listening to Music NFT Radio. Then you listen to another song from one of our stars, uh, Fifi Wrong. And then you hear her song next, and it's a completely different style. It's, it's a completely different vibe because we're not genre-specific. We're Web3, Music NFT-specific. Wow. So I make, you know, hard rap, and then Fifi comes on, and it's kind of like an ambient, like, chill vibe. But then you hear her come in. Hey, it's Fifi Wrong. You're listening to Music NFT Radio. Then some uh, one of our new upcoming artists, Frieza. Frieza came into our room with 29 followers like two or three weeks ago. And now he's almost at 1,000 just from – and this is like a brand new artist who was just starting in Web3. And now we've helped him explode his community. And so we'll play some of his music too. He's getting in rotation, right? So we're, we're mixing in you know, artists like myself, multi-platinum artists with – you know, Frieza, who just came into the room and, you know, is ready to battle Goku. 
on the track. And so, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Like we got like all these artists that are just organically coming into the room and seeing a lot of value and I'm able to help them while building my community. So yeah, when I do a 77 hour space, I obviously <laughs> sleep and I leave it on overnight. And this all started with me just literally sitting there with my phone like this and my laptop right here, playing music out of my laptop into the phone. And at first I just wanted a place to play my music because I'm on Twitter spaces like 24 seven for the last year, just trying to build my community. And it's been incredible, right? Like Twitter spaces is awesome. And a big part of what I do is answer questions about music NFTs, right? So I host spaces, I host Q and A's, I get together with other people in the community. So I've been a, a leader in Twitter spaces for a long time. And one day I was just like, I want people to hear the music. Like I can talk about music NFTs all day. I can answer questions. I can help newbies. I can try to talk to a collector who's going to buy my shit. But ultimately, I'm just like, the music is the most convincing thing. Yeah. Like, I'm so confident in my music. That's where I put all my time and energy and effort. I wouldn't be sitting right here. I wouldn't be spending all my time on Twitter spaces. I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff if I wasn't super confident in the music. So I just, one day, I'm just like, you know what? I just want to play the music. Like, so it's kind of like this simple, like so simple it hurts. It's like, what if we just played the music? So I just started playing music out of my laptop into my phone and I would just sit there. And at first I couldn't get more than five to 10 people in the room. And then like eventually someone, one of my homies came in and said like, hey, can you play one of my songs? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So like I played one of his songs and I was like, oh, well, like there's something cool about this. Like I'm playing mm. my homie's song, like, and there's like five other people listening. And this then is, like, this is and then like someone else came in like, hey, can you play my song? And then I'm like, yeah, like give me a minute, wait around. And I'm like, wait a second, like wait around. Like, all right. So then people started coming in and saying like, all right, like I want to play my song. And I would say, okay, just like hang around and listen with us for a while. So now- How do you judge what people like and what they don't? Well, I go by what I like. It's my show. But I know, but I'm saying like like <laughs> yeah. if, when you have a new artist come in or something. Sure. People didn't fuck with that. Maybe you fuck with something that yeah, other yeah. people didn't or the other way around. Like how are you measuring that? Well, that, that? that's a good uh good question. I mean, I would say what it comes down to is the culture that you develop with the show. And and for me, the culture is all about positivity. Like I'm never going to have someone come in and be like I I don't fuck with your music. Like I'm pa I'm beyond that point in my career. Like I feel like as a music artist or as a music fan, like on the like beginning level of your like trip to musical enlightenment, you're very much like, oh, like, oh, I don't like that song. Like, oh, I love this song. Like, and to me, I'm like way more like I hear potential only. And like if something's not mixed correctly or like something's like not perfect, like I'm so used to that now. And like I, I see through the whole process. So when someone comes in with something that's like kind of whack, I don't look at it like that. Like, I always just look at what's good about it. Like, I can think of one song right Something now. Something to work with. Right. Like, what I think about right now is, like, I can think of two artists. I'm not going to name them, but I can think of two artists that are in there a lot. One of them has, like, dope music. It sounds kind of like, like a young Travis Scott or something, but it's not mixed well. And, like, if you ask me what I genuinely think, I'll be like, it's good, but, like, I couldn't play it because it's not mixed well. But I don't care about that on Music NFT Radio. I still play that stuff because it's dope and I see the potential of it. And this artist will get better at making it sound better. And so then there's this other artist who comes in and he does some like really indie stuff where he's like singing on the track and it's like kind of like almost like a little nasally, like he's not the best singer ever. Mm. But I hear on the radio something where 
this guy isn't the best singer ever. He just has like a cool vibe. So when I hear this guy on my station who's not the best singer ever, but his lyrics are cool and he's picking some rhyme schemes that I would never use almost in like a quirky kind of weird way. But I see that as good and I don't see that as bad. So I look at people's potential and that's what I've learned from music NFT radio. Um, but anyway, like I want to get back to like how the genesis of this thing, because like it was April 3rd, a Sunday when I realized to just start playing the music and slowly I started bringing people up and then we probably got to like 10 to 20 people where I was like bringing a few people up playing music. Right. And then I started being like, okay, like what if I do NFT giveaways? Right. And I let artists play their music and I'm doing NFT giveaways and I'm telling people to retweet the room. And so slowly we started growing until I think that first week we got over a hundred people one day in the Mm. room. And then that next week we got, 192 people in the room one day, which are still our max, uh, 192 live listeners at once, which was still our max. But now we're getting, typically on a day, we run it 24-7, and I'm getting anywhere from five to 10,000 unique people coming in per day. And it, it's been incredible. Five to 10,000. Yeah, like five to 10,000. And that's from doing, the other thing people, like when you said like, oh, you're up for 24 hours straight, like actually, no. I'm actually doing a lot less work than someone who does eight hours of Twitter spaces a day. Why? Because now I don't have to say anything. It's running right now at home. And and here's the part. So like, there's just so many ways this has gone. But now I have the community running it. So what I've also realized is that I built this incredible audience. There's a lot of value to the exposure of being in my Twitter space. So now upcoming artists who want to get their music played, who are on the playlist, are also the ones helping to co-host and moderate when I'm here. So right now, there's probably an upcoming artist sitting in the chat who's up on stage as a speaker. Everyone sees their account. You know, they're trying to grow their music NFT community. When, when does the music... Do, do they get to decide when the music stops then? I have do... the, No, I have the music played automated, but what they do is they just sit there between songs and they'll say like, hey, it's DJ Groove. He's one of our helpers. You're just listening to music NFT radio. Or... So there's set time between songs? Nope. There's just, just at the end of a song, you can talk over the song. You can talk oh, over the song. It, you can talk it, over the it, song. Okay. So at the end of the song, um, they, they'll chime in. And the value for them is just to be a curator and someone on stage because there's like 50 or 100 people listening. And so what I've realized, too, is now I've formed this team and community that helps me run the radio. And for them, the value is so huge of just being able to sit there and say, hey, you're, it's it's uh, Allie and you're listening to Music NFT Radio. Like our friend Allie has just been gaining new community and new followers every day because she's sitting there and helping to moderate the radio. So it's created this beautiful incentive structure where we have a community radio that's community and interactive. You know, I'm I have the setup. I've cre- okay. This has taken a lot of my technology skills and and uh, a whole combination of of skills that I've been perfectly set up for because I How have so? yeah. So I have a uh, pretty complicated setup that runs through my audio equipment and then runs through this iRig to my phone. I mean, it's not that complicated, but you need to be an audio person to figure it out a little bit. So I for, run, I run to get them to get the music playing basically because I'm running high quality so that I can run studio quality music into my cell phone into Twitter. Got so it. you need to have a setup that allows you to run studio quality music into your phone. And then you also have to have a mic for that. And then I also have a, like effects. So when you listen, it sounds like the radio, like I have all types of effects. And like, just to give you an idea of how like the average or 99% of people on t- more 
99.9, everybody except me hosting Twitter spaces is just talking to their phone. Yeah. You come into mine and you hear a radio quality stream. You hear me sounding like I probably do on this podcast because there's some good stuff running on it, you know? So that is what's so different about music NFT radio. Most people have never had a Twitter spaces experience like this. So now I've given the overview. Let me get to the, the important key principles because this will help you understand like more of what's going on here. There's another thing though before yeah. you go on sure. because my my mind is really turning on this. Like at first glance, of course, like anything, people could come up with, you know, their criticism of it and like okay, well there's just going to be artists in there like trying to pump their music and it actually sucks. That's a reality. Like there's going to be people who suck and they never go anywhere cuz they don't have a backstory, all that stuff. But the discoverability of what you're talking about, leveraging a community of people who want to go to a similar place who are incentivized to try to find people as well mm -hmm. because this is related to nfts so it's like right. oh could i go invest in something it's the only radio where you can listen and invest in the artist live real time while you're listening and the other thing to consider is it's my radio and i'm strong on this like it's my radio station it's for my community it's for my nft collectors so the artists that get play on radio are very much curated by me now we are totally open to any artist that wants to come in yeah, be a part us. of the community earn their spot on the radio right but what i believe in is the value of repetition so this isn't just like a show where it's like every day we're trying to play the brand new music from the new artists who came in this is like every day we're playing the same music from our favorite artists that we're supporting to the top. Because what I've realized is the way radio makes a hit or the way TikTok makes a hit is not, it's, it's from repetition, yeah. right? And so I've realized that, and this all came from the genesis, like I told you, of let me just play my music on loop. Because I realized that I have a big catalog of music. I have like almost 50 songs. Like the Crypto Rich album is 19 songs. And this is what separates me from a lot of music. And you got all your early stuff because too. Because as, as a music NFT artist, a lot of them are, are kind of starting out or trying something new. But for me, I'm like, yo, I could just loop Crypto Rich 19 songs and, you know, reasonably no one would even notice because it's like a 30 minute album and most people are in and out quick. And so that's kind of what made it easy for me to go down this path because I was like, because at first it was just more of like the selfish idea. Like, I want to play my own music. Right. Like now the selflessness expanded. came more from realizing how much more I can do for myself and others with this, right? This feels a lot, what I'm saying is, and I got to really go look through this. Mm -hmm. This feels a lot like 2009, 2008, 2010 area. I went out of order there, but you get the point. SoundCloud. You, YouTube. YouTube. No, not even SoundCloud yet. Yeah. But yes, SoundCloud. On YouTube where everyone was like, oh yeah, you're going to start yeah, a fucking I'll YouTube blow, channel I'll and get, your and get mind, discovered. Man. This yeah. is like the way to do it because, it, and here's the kicker. Yeah. You can play things that repeat, and you can play the new artists who come in there and then play them a bunch over and over again, and you may get people to be like, oh, man, that's fire, bro, because they want to see them go up because they're buying their NFT. But if it doesn't – like. If it doesn't translate to Web 2, you have a data point to prove like, okay, artist A didn't translate to Web 2, so probably not good. But yeah. artist B, who had the same amount of NFT sales as artist A, who's getting the same amount of play on Famous Dill's radio station, they got a couple million streams in Web 2. Yeah. Talent. There yeah, it is. Like definitely. this is you can spot the fucking talent here. Definitely. This is this is pretty wild. Definitely. I mean, there's two things I want to say. First of all, is the the AM FM thing. Second of all is our core principles, which is related to what you just said. 
but because because a big part of what we're trying to do is not just be NFTs, I think we can change the whole algorithms and convert people from the radio to real viral success in Web two and sell way more NFTs long term. What do you that mean way. by that? Back up. I know there's so yeah. much in there, but yeah, I want to. I want to get. Let, let me go back. Let me get back to that. Okay. First, I want to blow your mind. Okay. All right. Blow my mind. All then right. go back to that. Let me blow your mind first. So. <laughs> When AM radio first came out, when the radio was first invented, all of the radio was talking, talk shows, like we're talking right now. The whole radio, AM radio, right? This was before FM radio. They didn't do music. The cool thing about the radio is everyone could listen to a talk show, okay? Yeah. And there was no music. Um, and then FM radio came out. And actually, before FM radio came out, they might have a band come into the studio and play like live music on AM radio, but no one was playing recorded music. And then FM radio came out, which was when was that? I don't know the exact years, but I'll look F FM radio comes out, and it's much better for transmitting quality music. But at first, people would they would have bands come in and do live performances because people just didn't get this idea of playing recorded music. Now, before I continue with this story. Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse has started out 100% like AM radio. Everybody's just talking. Nobody's playing music. Everybody's just talking. It's a talk show, okay? So Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse are following the same progression as AM and FM radio. That is the point I'm getting at, and let me explain it even more. So with Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse, just like when you saw AM radio just in the beginning Twitter of Twitter Spaces, F Clubhouse is dead. Sure, Clubhouse is dead. <laughs> RIP. RIP. So anyway, RIP to Clubhouse. So with Twitter Spaces, right, the beginning is like AM radio. Everybody's just talking, only talk shows. And that's what you saw with the real AM radio. Now, there was the exact same progression where people would start coming on Twitter Spaces and do like a little concert or a little show or have someone come in and do live music. That's pretty common, right? It's low quality too. It's low quality too. And that's that's pretty common, just like how people would go into the AM radio station and play at the station on the, on the air. And that was the first way they did it. And then FM radio came out. And then they would have maybe higher quality. And this is the exact same progression because on Twitter Spaces, the over the last few months, people have been figuring out how to get the iRig set up and do my setup to get high quality. But it was still like for a concert, like, oh, someone's holding NFT music concert, everyone go in. And by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, NFTs have been the cornerstone of Twitter spaces and Clubhouse. So when we talk about like NFTs on Twitter spaces, it is like the biggest topic on yes. there. So, so that's why I'm saying like people have been figuring this out, but it would be more like NFT music concert on Twitter or just like music or like come play your music. And so yeah. what really changed the game and the same thing happened in FM radio is when someone said, let's just play the recorded music and loop it because uh, that was also not intuitive for me. Like it, it took me a little bit of thinking to realize like, wait, we can just like loop the most of the same songs. And not only is that going to be fine and entertaining for the audience and they're going to like it because they're going to get more familiar with the songs and they're going to get excited when it comes on, but it's also better for the artists because then people will actually know the songs and they'll stream the songs and they'll support the songs. Right? So the same thing has happened. AM and FM radio, the same thing is happening on Twitter spaces. It's gone from this talk show vibe. And now I have been the first one to pioneer this 
FM radio style or like FM radio of Twitter where I'm playing recorded music and high quality and just doing it 24-7. And so that was the huge transition from AM radio, talk shows all day, to FM radio, which is 24-7 high quality music. And I have just pioneered that same transition within Twitter spaces. And so it was so cool when someone first told me about this. And then I talked to my uncle who actually helped to build like radio stations in New York when he was like in college, like the actual beginning of all this. And it's crazy because I, I was I was asking him, like, is this true? Like, was AM radio all talking and then everyone went to FM? And like half of the information I just told you came from the conversation with him, where he told me that all of this was very true. And he immediately understood what I was talking about. And he was the one who told me that like, they, they they didn't play recorded music at first. Like they would have the bands come into the studio because right. nobody thought like, let's just play the recordings and just fucking loop them because that's like lazy, right? But it's not lazy. It is what became the future of FM radio. But now it's almost like we're going to something different because now instead of like, you know, on, on, on the radio, it's like if you if you hear a recording of like, you know, hey, this is Dua Lipa and you're listening to the radio, right? Like that's a recording. But on Twitter spaces, we bring the artists in live. So the artist is right there. So you could, you, and we let listeners chime in too. So you get to call and say, uh, hey, Dill, I love your song. I'm, I'm calling in from New Jersey. Love it, man. And then I'll, I'll respond and say, hey, thanks for listening, man. And we do that times 100 every day with all these artists. We've had big artists come in. If you know Chantel Lane, she's like a really big singer. She had a song called T-Shirt that was really big and impossible. So like she has big songs. She comes in there and hangs out with us. Like we have so many talented artists that actually come in here and hang out with us and talk to the community. So yeah, there's been that transition that's just like AM to FM radio. So that's the thing that I want to tell you that's going to... Can you monetize this? I mean, that the whole thing's connected to my NFTs. So if you hold my NFTs... I know that, but I'm yeah. saying, can you can you create some sort of like NFT project that is around the radio, not your music, the actual radio so, and what you're, what you're creating? Yeah, here. like so that is what my NFTs do now. So like I, this radio station has... Is, is directly connected to my NFTs, right? They're connected. So, um, they're connected, yeah. right? But mm -hmm. it's still your. It's still connected directly to your music. Is mm -hmm. there a way to also have a lane where it's not connected to any of your music and it's connected to the fact that you built this and this is yeah, your community? I, I could, but that would be doing a disservice to like my community that I've built over the last year. I think like the, it can be two communities. That's what I'm saying. It can be both. Yeah, they can get the benefits of both. I mean, yeah, I get it. I, I just personally don't see why I would want to drive the sales away from my nfts when i've already figured out how to connect it like it, like i've already sold like you know i've i've done a lot of sales in the past month or so and i brought on like probably 50 to 100 new collectors and all these things and a lot of them are buying the nfts to get access to the show right so if you have one of my nfts we bring you right up on stage and play your music and put you right in the rotation right mm -hmm. so so basically if you hold my nfts you get access to the show so there's there's two ways to earn a spin on the show. One way is to come in as a listener, listen to the radio, enjoy the music, hang out on stage. And then when you're on stage as a speaker and waiting to play your music, you're going to get so much exposure. Like these artists are gaining, you know, 100 followers a day just from being on stage, even if their music isn't getting played. And, and so what you can do is come in and earn a spin. This is the only radio station in the world where you can come in and listen. And just by being a listener, you can earn a spin. Now, of course, 
you know, as we grow, it's harder and harder to earn a spin. I mean, if you came in when we had 10 people, I would have put your music on right away. But now we're chilling there with 100 people casually. So, of course, it's a little harder. Now but the access. Now, but now, it's like, if you want to support the show financially, you can buy one of my NFTs, which is going direct creator from me to my audience. And then we bring them right up on the show, put them on the playlist. So we've had a lot of NFT sales because people are buying my NFTs to get more exposure for their own music. So like, I think in some ways it pretty much already is what you're saying about NFTs connected to the radio. I, I, would, I would consider something like that. But for me, it really is like, I want to drive the value to my NFTs. Like it would be more interesting for me to release another Dill NFT for my album and say, hey, buy my album to get access to radio because I want to sell the music. And if radio becomes a tool that helps me sell the music, then like that's in line with my goals. So I think that's a big part of it. And like this is a good time for me to say this. Like I want to talk about that there's only two core principles in music NFT radio. And I think developing a culture is so important in mm. any type of community, right? And and here we number go. Number one thing. Number one thing is culture, right? And culture is another thing like music where it's it's about repetition. So you come on my show for long enough, you'll hear me say the same things over and over again. Because it's so, so important for me to get everybody on the same page. That's how I've built this show. That's how I've built this energy. That's how I've built a community of positivity. There's no one who feels, no one should feel any pressure coming up to pay the, play their music because we're never going to say like, oh, that song is kind of whack or like, don't come back. Like, never. We would never do that. Like, everyone gets support. Everyone feels loved and supported in the community. And so even if your song needed some work, like, you know, there's a, there's a chance we might like try to give you constructive feedback. But in most cases, we're just like, hey, thanks for coming in and like supporting the radio because these artists are genuinely there to just enjoy music and support. So we're not in the business of like, you know, giving them a hard time about their music. Because I know what it's like to be like a, a artist playing your music for the first time. It's like nerve wracking, right? So the two core principles of music NFT radio, like the culture we're building. Number one is that we are a music focused Twitter space. I know that's super simple, but it's so new that nobody gets it. I mean, every other Twitter space you go into is a talk show. So the first core principle is we are focused on music, high quality audio 24-7 like a radio and there's nothing else like this that, right now. there's nothing else like this so that's why that has to be our first core principle because nobody gets that so this is like the radio on twitter spaces and and i and i say that and it should click but it doesn't click so that's why i have to explain that means it's a music focused twitter space that runs 24 7 and plays high quality audio see like the rate the the radio business has had such trouble because it's it's dying in a lot of ways because people aren't you know, if they're not in their car, and even in their car, they're on serious. Okay, sometimes we're, we're going to get there, too. <laughs> but hold on. I'm saying, like, I've always wondered how they hadn't done deals or figured out something to be able to live stream on Instagram or live stream on Twitter or something like right, that. It makes right. no sense. But here you are literally doing it. Doing it. it. <laughs> yeah. And and so that's the other thing. But we'll, we'll, I want to get through the core principles. But XM radio, regular radio. It's 2022. The only time you can listen is in your car. And I don't have a car right now. Well, you can get it on. But the point can. is you have to go I, somewhere I, I'm, else. I'm being realistic. Yeah. I'm being realistic. Yes. The, only time, the only time most people listen is in their car. Maybe some people have like XM radio app on their phone. Like I think my dad might do that. Yeah, want, but how many people? Right, right. Whereas so, everyone's so, going on Instagram. So the everyone's point is going this. on Twitter. Everybody has a phone. And I almost see this as like, and I've seen this with my community. It's kind of like how... 
you know, back in the day, everyone had a radio, like everyone would be huddled around like the one radio. But now it's like, if everyone can tune into this Twitter radio on their phone, and it has this element of like, invest in the music while you're listening. Like, this is what's grown it so big already is just this idea that like anyone can tap in anytime you don't have to be in your in your car you know you you don't have to so anyway i I think that's huge but i want to say about the the core principles right we got there's just only two the first one is i know it's so it's so mind-blowing but so simple at the same time this is a music focused twitter space so we play music yep the second one is that we're not just focused on music nfts we think we can make a difference for the artists on other websites like streaming, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. So we have a playlist on all those sites and we encourage all the listeners, if they like a song, go look it up, support the YouTube video, add it to your Spotify playlist. Because my vision for Music NFTs is that we want to support an artist to get to the top of the charts, you know, make it onto Billboard, get onto Spotify viral, get their, you know, YouTube video trending on the YouTube trending playlist. Yeah. Because this is the path to get millions of collectors all into music NFTs, right? This is the path. So yeah. that's, and that, and also that's another thing where it's so, so different from what everything else on Twitter spaces represents. Because every other Twitter space is like, hey, buy NFTs, Spotify sucks, they don't pay enough, fuck Spotify. That's, ev- I'm, I, I mean, you got to see it to believe it. You go in any other Twitter space, any other Twitter space. I mean, best case scenario, they might be saying like, hey, buy music NFTs. I guess Spotify is not so bad. But nobody else is is doing what I'm doing is saying, hey, this Twitter space, we can make a difference for the artists. We can affect the algorithm. Okay, we're going to I keep saying we're going to take artists to billboard in this space. Right. And like, you know, maybe you maybe now we only have 100 people in the room. But imagine if we get a thousand people in the room. Imagine we get ten thousand people. Saying, in the you room. said you're getting five, ten thousand unique people over a day. Over a day. Over a Do day. Do you know how fucking valuable? Now what's now what's the average lag time? Like a minute and a half. What's the lag time when you? Or mean not lag time. The average listen time. You. I don't get that information, but the best information to me is what, how many of those fo- people are converting into followers of my account. So let's go. I won't even go there yet. Mm-hmm. But fair point. Let's go conservative. Let's say it's 5,000, not 10,000. We'll go lesser, right? And let's say out of that 5,000, we'll use the number you just used a few minutes ago. You have 100 people a day and seven days a week, let's say that overlap of like unique people, it's a total of like 350 unique people. No, it's 5,000 to 10,000 unique per day. I know. I'm going ultra conservative. (laughs) Okay. The value that I'm talking about people who are mega fans invested mm. as fuck in that shit, yeah. right? Like my friend Will Toms would be sitting here like I got to tell him about this. He'll love this. But like when you when you extrapolate that out and then think about the effect that can have because these are people who are invested the power of their voices to drive quality work, not just work they're going to go invest in because they're like, oh, I heard this on the on the radio. I think this guy's got an interesting personality. I'll just bet on him. And it might suck. It's like the people who are going to find the projects that then they also really fuck with. They're listening to it in the gym. They're listening to it outside of that space. And now suddenly they go stream it. They share it with their friends and everything. This is like game changer. Yeah. No, yep, th- th- no, this is this is really good, man. So now you get the vision, man. So so we think, and we are the only Twitter space that's telling people go stream on Spotify, go support on YouTube, because I've seen how that works with the Jordan Belfort record. Like Jordan Belfort didn't just have this overnight TikTok. No. The next day, I'm blown no. up. I saw it build over years. So I'm like, you know what? Like I'm getting 
five to 10,000 unique people in this room per day. I'm getting three to 500 followers on some days. You know how many days I got 500 followers when Jordan Belfort was going platinum? Zero. There wasn't a fucking day where I got 500 followers in a day. Seriously, because the Jordan Belfort song blew up. It got a lot of streams. But none of that. Can you take people through that again? Like you mentioned it a little bit last time, but just for like a refresher. When you made the song, I think you dropped it officially in like late 2014? 2000, late 2000, or early 2013. Because the movie came out, I believe, uh, December 25th. Early 2014, because it came out in 2013, right? December 2013. I think I thought it came out 2012, December 25th, 2012. And then we made it beginning of 2013. I'll look it up, but go ahead. Explain. explain I'm pretty sure that's that's right. But anyway, we put that song out, and for about a year and a half, two years, you know, that that song really. 2013. Okay, got you. So we made it early 2000. See, I'm giving myself an extra year there that I don't need. I don't need that year. You don't need that (laughs) year. I don't need that year. That year's history. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, it came out to early 2014. So for about a year and a half, like it just slowly growed on SoundCloud. Like the first million streams on SoundCloud took a year and a half. Now, how did? But here's here's a key though. Yeah, it's hard to get to a million streams. Mm-hmm. You're coming off zero. You're a yeah. nobody. No one knew who the fuck you were. You were a kid. You were right. in high school, right? So. How did you get it to a million streams? That was nothing. That was natural, just organic, like because it was on SoundCloud and maybe because it was called Jordan Belfort. So that's the other thing that is like huge, but it's too early to see. It's like, that's what happened when I did nothing. And what I'm doing now is like the leading indicator for like what probably is going to happen when I do something in the yes. beginning. And like Jordan Belfort, like that was a year and a half of like doing nothing and then it got to a million streams and all of a sudden we were like oh shit we should do something and then that's when we went and shot the music video and then that stuff helped accelerate the song but it was already on its way at that point and so that i've seen through that process that like it doesn't have to be some kind of overnight success on tiktok or something you can have a song that just naturally gets an audience and like you just said you gain these people who are super fans probably with the jordan belfort song what happened is we showed it to some people it got around a little bit from our networks just from casually showing it to people and then some people found it and they liked the fact that it was jordan belfort and they became like you said like this super fan who's telling people and so i be getting dirty money jordan <laughs> yeah. belfort right so over <laughs> so over a year and a half this song blew up and so now i look at you know now i've got almost a decade of knowledge behind me and i look at myself gaining three to 500 followers on Twitter in a day. And I go, holy shit, like as many millions of streams as the Jordan Belfort song did, I never had this many people coming and following me and supporting me. And it's still because they like my music because they're still coming into my music space and hearing a lot of my music. And But the, the key is that I'm, by my analysis, I am growing my own brand yes. so much bigger yes. than what this Jordan Belfort song ever did for me. And so- I see this as like the leading indicator of what's going to happen. And so that's why I am one of the only music NFT artists, especially since most music NFT artists are like newer artists and there's very few that are like really accomplished. And then even out of the accomplished artists, like they, some of them maybe had like a perfect label deal and like everything worked yeah. out for them and they didn't have to think about like some of this shit that I have to think about, right? Because let's face it, like there are artists who stuff works out for them and they don't have to worry about like marketing. They don't have, like they can really just vote. And so I do think some of the artists in music NFTs are like that, or maybe they're just so far in their career that they're not so focused on little stuff anymore. But for me, 
I just kind of see it like, okay, if I watch that song grow over a year and a half, imagine a year down the line. We're only one month into music NFT radio. So imagine a year down the line what could be happening or what kind of audience I could build or how the Spotify algorithm is going to view all of the artists on our radio that have been getting consistent streams, yeah. for over, not just from the radio, but from the radio fans who go out and stream on their own, like getting those consistent streams and building up over time. So I kind of see that potential of like, we just need to focus on the long term because I'm selling music NFTs today, but my grandkids are going to get fed off of the royalties from my copyright that I'm going to build up with my community, right? And then we're going to create so much value for my NFTs by connecting it to my radio, my tour, my merch, and all this stuff. And so as the value of radio grows, it just naturally is going to add to the value of my community. Um, but yeah, I think a, a key thing that I have uh, realized in my position is that we can make a difference. Like we can sit here every day and, and support these artists and tell people to stream. And that will add up over time. Provided and, the, and again, the market will be, the market will always be the arbiter of truth. The marketer, the market will tell over time who's good and who's not. And that in a way you don't, you don't have to worry about that completely. If you're playing shit music all the time, that, that, that may affect the brand. But I'm saying like you can be the space for discoverability. It can kind of be like the lottery for the listener. Forget is. the artist. The listener gets to say every song that comes on that's new. I get to hear if I hear potential. You know how much people yeah. love discovering shit. They well, love discovering see, shit. See, another thing also that I want to add into the mix, because like this is part of my journey to like musical enlightenment or whatever. Musical and enlightenment. Musical That's enlightenment. Powerful. Okay. And and like some part of what happens is you lose some of the magic. And the best way to describe that to someone from the outside is the difference between thinking, oh wow, well, if it's a great song, everyone's gonna hear it right away and love it. And if it, you know, if you just play it enough, everybody's going to fucking love it, even if it's a shitty song. And so, we know some of those songs, right? Yes. So the, the real question is how much of it is really magic and how much of it is really repetition and, and other psychological factors that are, are not necessarily related to musical quality. And so on the trip to musical enlightenment, one thing you need to realize is that at least 50% of people cannot hear a tune, hold a beat, sing, like, and so if you can't sing, hold a beat, hear a tune, you don't like rap music, how can you judge if a song in that category or for most people, how can you judge if a song is good if you can't hold a tune yourself? So, mm. well, that's one thing that, that I started to realize. But along the way, what I, you know, to without getting too deep, because I could go all day about music psychology, like I could go all day. I've thought about this so, so much. But at the end of the day, the, the, the most simple way to explain my conclusion, there isn't a uh, there is an abundance of good music. There's an abundance of good, solid music that has chart-topping potential. Like, seriously, there's a lot of people making good music. There is a scarcity of hustle. There's a scarcity of opportunities to get repetition. So when I, when I hear music, a lot of times I'm like, all right, that was dope. Like, if that artist found the right strategy, like, it could be chart-topping potential. And so that's one thing that I've realized is there there's definitely an abundance of good, solid music. Like, the hardest thing to have is the hustle and the opportunity to get that music heard. Well, here's the other problem. The music industry has sold artists a lie. And the lie is actually cloaked in something that's true over all of history for music, by the way. And that is that music is a singles business. And the reason I say that it is a lie now is because even if the statement is, to, is still true, 
the practice of how that happens is not because what the music industry has allowed all these artists to assume is that okay that means i just need to put all my energy into one song which by the way isn't just making the song and trying to make the hit right mm -hmm. and and a singular focus on one sound that like might do this thing that could be a fucking tiktok somewhere it also then comes down to all the bullshit they have to do around it so mm -hmm. if the idea is like oh i need to create one song a month that's a single then they then by the way they're a starving artists they're young they're trying to figure it out they're trying to come up so they're doing everything you talked about themselves they're yeah. making the artwork they're making some sort of social trend some fucking dance to go with it they're they're pumping it on their instagram stories to the point that their instagram stories are a skip for everyone they're doing all this shit putting all this energy all these different decision points and focus points into one song and then it's always a letdown because if it doesn't go to the fucking billboard 100 and they didn't make it well what the fuck was the point and now oh you just did that song now you got to do the whole thing over again with a new song next month so what the music industry is allowed allowed that what they've encouraged is people to just make these singles and exhaust themselves and put all their energy in and hope not and not just the energy the hope in the one little fucking thing such that they don't make projects that allow singles to organically form mm -hmm. so now if you give people a different way that's not this fucking hamster wheel where they got to get in there and they got to make music through you know the social fucking posting and and all the bullshit that goes around it but you give them a way to actually find community Communities who are interested in finding music and it's not on some fucking radio station somewhere it's actually organically within a, a social platform like twitter where people already are and they're looking for shit to enjoy well now you're creating a new way for artists to then make their art such that they can maybe now start to focus on making full projects so that there's a library there where people and the audience can organically find the singles right. that is what makes me excited about this because it is the number one thing that drives me nuts about fucking music these days yeah, man, I totally agree with you. And, you know, one thing that's happening here that I've stuck with is, like, I know my album is awesome, and that's why I've worked so hard for the past few years on just promoting this album. Like, I have a ton of new music. I have new stuff that I could post out. But what I learned through that process with Jordan Belfort is, like, there's definitely some value to focusing on this music that you know is great and pushing it, right? Because at the end of the day, I bet someone like you, you know, maybe you've only heard Crypto Rich a couple times. Maybe there's songs you haven't heard on Crypto Rich Deluxe, you know, not, nothing negative, just saying like, even someone like you who knows me well, wants to support me and my brand, all this stuff, the music might not be so familiar to everyone. And so that's what I've realized too, is like, there is a large gap between getting someone to know you, like this is them getting to know you, and then all the way over here is them actually Action. listening to your actually yeah. listening to your music and and actually listening to your music is not the same as like oh i heard jordan belfort bro and i heard your one crypto rich song that, that was dope that's like the average person who might want to support me but there is such a difference between getting them to actually listen to the music and that difference is the repetition and and the significance of saying it might be a significance thing too where it's like maybe you didn't listen to crypto rich before but now that you hear that i'm getting all these uh that my radio is going really well well then you go back to crypto rich and say all right well now he's got a platform does this album actually have potential and then you listen through it like five times and i swear that the act it, it is the the part this is music psychology again the act of people listening to the music to try to decide is this good enough to be a hit it's like the thing that takes an artist from like the beginning to like 
that upwards trend because people start listening to the music and they're they're i feel like they're trying to decide like is this a hit like is this good is it not yeah, and through that process yeah. through that process they actually start to enjoy the music and then the other thing i look to is like we think of some of our favorite music artists and like the most in-demand artists in the world and like it's almost like their strategy is like holding off the music and and it's like pretty much intentional i think so that's why i'm kind of like what, yo, what, what do you mean I mean, there's so many artists who like it's Kendrick like, Lamar, like Kendrick Lamar, like Kendrick Lamar, like Lil Uzi Vert, like oh, I'm coming, I'm dropping next month. Up, oh, never mind, next year. Up, oh, never mind. They two. are in their right to be able to do that. They are in their right to be able to do that, and I think that it is the same kind of strategy that an independent artist is doing, where it's like, look, all of my music is growing so well. There's still new people discovering me so much, and so it's like. They could drop a new album, sure, but in their case, maybe it's because more like they don't need to. It's not done yet. Kind That's of thing. a danger, though. That see, the, the, this is another disconnect, and and I think like, and this is me looking from the outside at different artists and how people grow over time. What I find is that when you get locked in on like, oh, this was just my masterpiece, right? Like, people don't have a body of work like you've had for a long time. You know, mm -hmm. I'm talking more the people who have never done shit, never, yeah. never really made anything, and they're like, oh, but I know this is fire, so I'm gonna hold off and market it the best. That is fucking dangerous. Yeah, the minute you are done creating something is the minute it is now the world's. Give it to them and fucking roll. The people who are the Kendrick Lamar's, Lil Uzi Vert's, these guys are mega stars. They can do this. And by the way. Not for nothing. I think Kendrick Lamar is going to be fine because he's fucking Kendrick Lamar and he put out so many things. But he kind of he pissed off his fans a little bit, like waiting a little too long on this. Yeah, one, definitely, you know. Definitely, so I hear that. That's even a balance. So I I think like the the battle of creativity is difficult because you have to keep doing it. You it's not just like. You can't rest on your laurels with it at all because mm -hmm. every minute you're not creating something is a minute that what you've already done is getting older, you right. know, and you and you lose it. Like it's the saddest thing when you see people comment on stuff on social media. I see it all the time on TikTok. Like, you know, they'll be like, oh, so-and-so fell off. It's like – and then you go look at so-and-so and they're like, well, they haven't created anything. That's why yeah. I fell off. Yeah, man, totally. I mean, I, I totally see that side of it too. You need to keep creating, but there's definitely a balance between like over creating or yes. you know, to creating yes. too much versus focusing because there is some branding to it. But then, of course, yes. yeah, I, I I think that it depends where you're at in your career. If you're a new artist, you should be thinking about having you know ten songs before you're trying to make that one hit, just yes. so that there's something there. Like the biggest problem for me is I blew up with no other music. Out. I put listen to this. I put yeah. featuring Dill in the original title because I didn't have a SoundCloud. Not because it was like my. I actually wrote the entire song before Wes saw the movie, so like I was really fifty percent of the song, and we ended up being fifty fifty on the song. You know, Wes is a great friend. He didn't try to. He didn't try to say, "Oh, Dill, you're just the feature," right? Because we really made that song together. But it just shows you how unprepared I was to have a music career because I didn't even have the the wits about me to say, "Oh, well, this is Dill and Wes." It wasn't until later when I was like, wow, this might become something. Like, I need this to be Wes and Dill, not featuring Dill. The best and worst thing that ever happened to you was the fact that that song was named Jordan Belfort. And yeah. that you didn't have a library yet because you were so young. It's the best thing because it was – you saw the timing. Like, it was yeah. brandable. It's Jordan Belfort. Like, and he's like a celebrity in his own now. He grew of into course. that. Yeah, very intentional. Like, that's the whole yes. reason we did it that way. Yeah. But also – 
If you are looking to search the web privately and not have all these websites track you when you leave, check out my friends over at Privato VPN. Privato VPN is the VPN company that gives you full privacy while losing you no speed, and you can use it on up to 10 different devices at a time. So you can use it on your laptop, on your phone, on your bat phone, everywhere. It's a beautiful thing. So use that link in my description and you will go to my landing page with Privato and you'll see a plan there for $4.99 a month. It is the same one I use. Check it out. You're going to love it. It's bad in the sense that your your people think of the song. They're like, oh, Jordan Belfort. I'm Jordan. Now I'm Jordan Belfort. Yes. Right. That's not, they, they don't go like <laughs> they, you Belfort, ask people yeah. who sang it. They're like, Oh, Jordan oh, Belfort. Yeah, Jordan Belfort guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And it's funny, and it's like great, but like it missed if you had had a full if you had been a couple years older and had a full library, mm-hmm. now they're like, oh, then Dylan they would have West found made the old that music. Song. Right. Yeah. They would have found the old music. And so that was one of the biggest problems. And also one of the reasons why if I was the record label, I probably also would have been like, Who the fuck are these guys? Let's right. just throw them some money and see if it sticks, right? Yeah. So I get that part of it. Um, and, and that is one of the biggest mistakes. It's not a mistake because there was no possible way in the universe that I would have had more music. Just like there's no possible way in the universe I could have hey, known this, this, this song I put on SoundCloud is going to become this major right. hit. But ultimately, if I would have had a catalog of music, that could have gotten a lot of attention from all of this, right? And so building a catalog of music over the last years has been a big part of my journey. But also... Jordan Belfort was a life-changing record for me. It's the thing that made me decide to be a music artist full-time. So I had to put in that sweat equity and that work to actually take my music career to where it is now. But now that I have all this set up and I have the platform coming, it is a lot easier for me to say no to a label knowing what I know now versus before when the label come along and I'm 18 or 19 and we're just wondering, hey, wow, we made $1,000 this week. Is it going to continue next week? And now these guys are offering us $30,000. Little did we know that this song would go on to make thousands of dollars per week for the next decade. (laughs) So little did we know. But now I understand how this game works. So I see the numbers coming in. Uh, You know, I see myself get 500 followers in a day in Twitter. And then I look at my credit card bill and I go, shit, man, I I would love to have some more money to pay this credit card bill. But I know the value of what's happening for me right now. And I'm not going to just take some deal so I can, you know, pay my credit card bill. Because if I actually hold off on this stuff, I know what it can be worth because I've seen it happen with one of my other record so now it's like i'm not dealing with a record anymore i'm dealing with a 19 song album and now i can look at it from a you know a better place where i'm like yo this is worth so much more than the jordan belford record and that's what i'm saying i think you got to leverage this i think you got to keep creating shit i think you got to go i I think you got to do stuff that's outside of just like the crypto theme and everything so yeah i I, that's a really good point like so i actually have a whole album that's completely different from the crypto theme you're gonna like it it's something that appeals to an older generation it is related to uh a really big uh, when are we film. It's related to, I don't want to give it away, but it's related to a really big popular film that everybody knows that's, that's musically related. No. <laughs> <laughs> Close. But it's, it's something that everybody will know the idea of it. Kind of like how Jordan Belfort has that, like everybody, not everyone knows, it's bigger than the Goodfellas. Idea. 
you're 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 kind of close, not really. But anyway, no, not close. you're not close. But but when you hear it, you're gonna understand it's the perfect fit, and it's good because a lot of people are gonna understand it. So like people who are like you know my mom, and you're like 60 years old or or whatever, you're gonna know this thing, and and the music is still gonna be like a hip hop style, but it's something that an older generation will see the branding and immediately know what it is. And so I think that's cool because Jordan Belfort has been marked as a song of like under 30 crowd like people over 30 maybe over 40 now you know they don't know the song so anyway i have but anyway that the thing is that i have this amazing crypto community and if i make a move away from crypto music right now i'm just thinking like it'll be that much harder to go back so i decided to postpone that album which has a completely different theme in in uh favor no hold on why not work that right in who gives a fuck? It doesn't. That's, well, that's the well, point. It doesn't need. Still, it doesn't need a crypto theme. You don't need a crypto theme to prove your concept of no, what you've I, already I, proven. I hear you, bro. I hear you. But but let me get to it because the the what's coming up is like a in between album. It's called the NFT mixtape, and so it's gonna be a drop specifically for the NFT community. And the other thing is like, yo, at the end of the day, I'm an artist running a business. Like, I know this nft mixtape is going to hit like with my community and i'll be able to sell a lot of music doing this and i'll be able to get the funding i want to do and that's going to make that next album that much better is it all nft themed so the, the music the nft album is but the next one isn't but think about it like this the nft mixtape is going to get me more funding more community and more leverage to make this next one even bigger and for the the next one i might it's something where if i went to like the owner of the the original copyright and got some like samples cleared and stuff like there's some industry moves i could make to make that next one even bigger and so the way i see it is just like stick with this amazing community that i have that's willing to support before the big move away but anyway i I see what you're saying and i totally think that's the future like my next album is like because like the artists i'm just saying though the artists that come in there and and put their music that their songs aren't about crypto or nfts they're about whatever the fuck right yeah i know but they're all that's also why i'm probably one of the most successful artists doing it right now and i think speaking to the making some of the earliest nft songs is like something i'm uniquely talented for and also a perfect fit so <laughs> dude, you're hitting like all the keywords of nfts that's exactly what dude, you're doing so 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 i need so that's exactly right I want to have the album that hits every keyword of NFTs so that when you look up the keywords of NFTs, you see Dill every time. That's why I did with Crypto Rich. So you'll notice with Crypto Rich, the first nine songs when I first released it, I didn't uh, correctly hit the keywords because I didn't realize this. But then the second half of Crypto Rich, you have Bitcoin, Blockchain, Crypto Rich, Cryptocurrency, Ethereum. So I put all the keywords when I released those extra 10 songs because I realized that part of this strategy is for me to occupy all the keywords on the streaming sites Mm. and everywhere. So because it's just fun for me, man. I'm just like, yo, I've been making music for a decade and having unreleased songs. And I don't know if you have any friends that make music, but what I found out is after you send them about a couple songs, they ain't listening to that shit anymore. 
right? I send my music to my son, like maybe because I don't do it anymore. But like, if I send my music to my friends, they might listen to like a song or two every once oh, in a while. Oh yeah, yeah. But like yes. most of the time, most of the time, and every music artist knows this. Most of the time, you send a song to your friend. They're busy. It's not that they hate you or they hate their music, no. but they're just busy. And 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 here's the thing: like everybody might be down to listen to a song every once in a while, but as soon as you start sending too many ideas to someone, at least with my friends, because like my friends are busy and shit. If you have a friend who's a music artist, they work with you on music then you know god bless you and them that's great like i'm glad you have that relationship but a lot of my friends just they're just they don't care it's about also my music you. Enough, you know you, you gotta understand like it, it's the same thing with podcasting i've said this since day one and it was a great expectation to go in with when i have friends hit me up like i do have a couple friends that actually listen to the podcast right stuns me i'm like what the <laughs> fuck are you doing listening to the podcast you can pick up the phone and call me in like the, yeah like Look at any of the big podcasters out there. Look at Lex Friedman. Look at Joe Rogan. Look at Dak Shepard. Look at all these guys. Russell Brand. Their friends don't fucking listen to their podcast. Yeah, right. Like that. Most of them don't act because it's it's fucking so and so. I can just call them up. Like why yeah. the fuck? Why the fuck am I gonna listen to something and be like a layer away that I can just like dial the phone right now and say, hey, what's going on, man? What do you think about this? What's going on with this? Okay, cool. Like if someone comes on, if there's a guest with like a wild story or something, okay, maybe. But like. What, yeah. Whenever a friend hits me up, like, oh, I listen to the podcast, I'm like, you did what? Really? <laughs> it's not, there's something about having that layer of separation, which is interesting because you're coming into music NFTs now where you get the direct interaction with the fans, but it's like they still don't know you. Right. Like, they don't, you don't go to the bar with them. You don't like hang out with them. So they love that access to being able to feel like they know you a little bit. Yeah. You know, whereas like, to your buddies, you're just fucking jerk off number one. Exactly. It's same exactly. thing with me. Exactly. It's, it's this is a creative space thing. Exactly. All in all. It's just how it is, right? So yeah. every creative knows that, and, and so that has. But it has brought me a new life because now I can go when I get home from this podcast, I can just jump on a radio, and there's gonna be fucking forty people there, and if I want to play a new song, they're gonna be excited, and that is like. The in some ways that is just such a dream right there. Yeah. Just to feel like wow, like I can play my fucking shit that I recorded. That yeah, it's pretty good because I've been working hard on my stuff. But at the same time, it's like I just recorded that in my bedroom yesterday. But just the idea that I can like have this community to where it's like if I want, I can go home and just start playing unreleased song after unreleased song. Or if I want, I can go home and just go eat dinner and let the other people run the radio and go to bed without even looking at it and still know that I'm going to be growing the radio in my sleep because there's people getting on there that are excited to help support it. And it's like the classic thing, classic thing where it's like, maybe I'm tired and I go home and go to sleep, but then maybe, uh, you know, Allie is unable to sleep and she gets on at 2am and she's just there. Mm -hmm. Cause yo, how much do we live in an age where it's like, because of our phones and because we're all trying to do some creative entrepreneurial thing. It's like how you, you said it in the beginning of the show. How many times do you find yourself just like, oh, I can't sleep. So like I'm going to grind on something for like my podcast or business. Yeah. Or like you end up staying up to like 4 a.m. editing videos. And it's like this gives the artist and the hustler a 24-7 outlet to then use their like. Because to me, it's like if I'm awake and I can't sleep, like I want to be. I want to be grinding on my hustle, you know? So yes. so that's why I love the 24-7 radio, too, because it just gives... It's exposure. It's exposure. It's hustle. Anyone in our community can just come in there. And and I know what that's about, you know? Because sometimes I find myself, you know, up at 2 a.m. And I'll be just like, 
you know, responding to DMs or just trying to do something that's productive. Because I, I don't sit still, you know, like I'm doing something. So. No, you don't. Like yeah. you're always moving. That's one thing about yeah. you. You're always doing something. There's no laziness in you at all. <laughs> at well, all. you know what? But you know what? what about like the greater space? Like have you been with it, like across the entire NFT community, it seems to me, but I haven't really talked with you about it. Like, have you been networking a lot with, with people moving and shaking? And if so, who? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I focus mostly on the NFT community, music NFT community. There is like, I would say, I would call them, there's like a cool kids of like NFTs where they're like really focused on like flipping NFTs and like the new profile picture mint and like whatever's going on with like board apes and like, you know, there's like the hype squad of NFTs and like, I, you know, maybe I did something wrong or whatever. Like, I didn't make enough money in NFTs to be, like, messing around with those guys. So, like, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, look, at the end of the day, like, I, so I, I, you know, maybe to my own detriment, but I have focused only on music NFTs. Like, I just try, at this point, I just only focus on music NFTs. Like, I'm buying, collecting music NFTs. I collect some other stuff, but at this point, especially with radio, like I'm able to lock in only on music NFTs and network within that community. But yeah, I've met some cool people in the NFT space. I mean, I, I mostly work with like Nifty Sax and Fifi Wrong, who are two upcoming artists in music NFTs. Um, I've been working with Violetta Zeroni a lot, who's an Italian singer who's crushing Violetta it in Zeroni? NFT. She yeah. sounds hot as Violetta. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. She's she's great and a beautiful voice as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, she's she's awesome. So I've been working a lot with really the the artists of music NFTs. Um, but I don't know. I, I connect with so many people in the community. Like it's it's really hard to to pick at this point. I mean, like I said, Chantel Lane is a big artist who comes in. But I'm mostly focused on music artists. But I like to bring in all different types of entrepreneurs in the space. Like there's this guy Pro Trader Mike. He's awesome. He's always coming on my show. What were you so, doing? What were you doing up in? Maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I feel like this was maybe four or five months ago. You were up in New York with a bunch of people. Yeah, NFT NYC. So let's let's mm. talk about that. Last yeah. year, I almost didn't go to this event, biggest NFT event in the world, NFT NYC. Yeah, that's um, coming up in I, June. I, yeah, so. another one's coming up in June. So mm. I didn't have a ticket. The tickets are thousands of dollars. I didn't want to go. Everyone on Twitter Spaces was telling me, "Oh, just go and be there. It'll be worth it." Which I like believed them, but also I'd never done that before. I never gone to a a, a festival or not festival a conference and just been in the city but people were telling me that and i've heard that before from like og crypto stuff so basically what happened is i got on a twitter space one day last year before this event and this guy devin the dude who's a bored ape he was talking about his event that he's having in brooklyn and devin the dude is someone i'd seen around before we'd talked before i tried to, i told him before i had made the jordan belfort song but by the time we got to this conversation he pretty much forgot and so I got on stage and he was talking about his event in Brooklyn, whatever. And I finally got up and like, yo, Devin, like, this is a uh, deal. We talked before I made the Jordan Belfort song. And like, I would love to come perform at your event. I'm a music artist. And like, it kind of, it didn't even click for him. I'll get to that in a minute. But like, he, he ended up being like, okay. So like, I talked to him and like, we kind of set it up. And then it was like, definitely coming together at the last minute, sort of. So this is probably like a couple weeks before the event. And so I'm like, all right, I have a place to perform. I'm just going to book a hotel and send it out there. So I just booked a hotel near Times Square. I sent it out to New York, 
one of the best decisions I've ever made in NFTs. First of all, there was always satellite events that are free to go to right. or something that's free to go to yep. all day, all day. So even if you couldn't go into the conference. How which, many people were there? You think? That's a good question. I, I think in the thousands, like uh, oh, definitely, like yeah. like I, I think around maybe I don't even know, but it, maybe ten thousand. But that's yeah. also just a random number, so don't yeah. quote me on that. Um, so it's a lot. So there's definitely a good amount of people at NFT NYC, and I think it's growing every year. Um, and so anyway, to to really finish off that story, like. I just sent it out there with no plan. I ended up meeting so many incredible people. I sat down with, with Devin, uh, just amazing people in the NFT community. Like you just meet people that are interested in NFTs. So, I mean, I'm not sure if there's anyone that like strikes to me as like, I saw Gary V. like I didn't meet him. I saw him, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anyone that speaks to me. as like some huge person that I like met, but like I met, you know, tens or hundreds of people that are just NFT collectors. Some of them ended up buying my NFT. Someone came up to me and shook my hand and said, hey, man, I've been meaning to buy your VIP NFT, but I wanted to meet you in person. And then he went out and bought a VIP for a half an ETH right after that. So just that, oh yeah, I guess to like simplify, like just being there, I'm meeting people who buy NFTs. And so just by being there, I met tens or hundreds of people who buy NFTs. Like I made, it probably cost me like a couple grand to go there, but the long-term sales I made from being at NFT NYC are probably over 10 or 20 or plus. It's hard to say, yeah. but there I can at least say for sure that there were sales directly connected to NFT NYC that paid for the entire expenses and some. So think about that. I got to go there, build my brand. I had to pay everything up front, but just the sales I made from being there ended up being profitable. I did the same thing in Miami and the same thing happened. So I've, I, and I've, and there's, uh, what, what was in Miami? Art Basel? Art Basel. Yeah. So I went to Art Basel, which was a lot less last minute. I actually spoke three times and had a private yacht party for my collectors there. So like, this is the type of stuff I do for my collectors. We had a private yacht party, which was actually a private yacht party. This shit is crazy. I didn't pay for it. It was funded by one of my collectors who's starting an NFT hedge fund. And so they are just throwing their Genesis event for their hedge fund. And to them, they were happy to get two boats. But then we're on the so boat. So he just tossed you another boat. Yeah. So we're on the boats with our collectors. How big is this boat? These were big, like a hundred foot. Yacht. Holy shit. Yeah. Nice shot. Yeah. Like maybe 70, 80. Damn. Yeah, they were nice. They were right. really nice. Double decker? Uh, Double-decker, yeah, yeah, really nice, like, lounge. And so we're on the boat, sun's coming down, Miami, beautiful weather. And then the guy, Blake, who is one of my top collectors, he spent a lot of my NFTs, he paid for the boat, he paid for the event. He comes up and says, dude, thank you so much for coming and bringing all your people to this. And I'm like, thank me, you (laughs) made this possible for all my people. But I realized that for him, the value of having like a bunch of my collectors who are also kind of like bigger NFT people is exactly what he wants for building his NFT fund. So I'm realizing that like, and for example, we'll get to this too, NFT, the new NFT NYC, I'm super involved in doing a, a an event, a Web3 NFT oh, really? festival. Yeah. And so again, now for NF, the new NFT NYC, I'm literally headlining a festival that someone else is putting together for me. And I'm just kind of connecting people and bringing in the artists. So like, let me get back to that. So and first NFT NYC was like a last minute thing. I almost didn't go. I ended up performing, having an amazing time and selling en- enough NFTs to pay for everything and then some. And probably building my brand so much that makes it way more than the value yes. of the NFTs I sold. So went to Art Basel, Miami. 
had a, a few speaking opportunities, same kind of experience, just even better. Like you can see some of the videos I got from that. They're incredible. Like some of the stuff I have on my Instagram and YouTube, I got to speak at some big events about music NFTs. So then now less than a year later, NFT NYC happens again. This time I was announced on the first official round of speakers for the actual conference, meaning I'm speaking about music NFTs at the actual conference. I'm saying you're I don't at the have forefront to of this. I don't have to worry about getting a ticket anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about not being able to afford a ticket. Because let me tell you, I still can't afford the damn ticket. As much sales as I've done, I mean, look, I've had a good year, but I'm still an independent artist trying to connect the dots. You know, yeah, like you reinvest it, everything it, in yourself. I reinvest. It costs mm -hmm. me money to make the sales that I've made, and so I'm still trying to connect the dots. You know, I'm not, I'm not like a broke, starving artist, but I'm still a young guy trying to connect the dots, and I'm not sitting on you know millions of dollars of crypto, right. which I, 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 and I'm very. Uh, this is another culture thing, like especially with radio now. I talk about this all the time like some people judge a book by its cover they hear crypto rich album and they just think the wrong things because you get some of the like i don't know we'll call them like art freaks like we get the art freaks who just don't like crypto rich because it's talking about crypto and being rich and they you know they're just more like i don't want music to be about that i want it to be about you know Anything something else. that i consider to be valuable culture right let's put yeah. it like that because you know some people will look at my crypto rich album and say that it's not culture or not valuable culture, which is, you know, pretty uh, offensive and maybe judgmental, we'll call it, in another way. Look, people, right? it's but, subjective. People are going to yeah. like stuff. People are going to not like stuff. I see what you're doing, hacking culture with it. I'm saying keep, keep the vision of also diversifying, which it sounds like with your next album as well, like you're doing that so that you oh, don't yeah. just, just pigeons, pigeonhole yourself to that because being in the space and leading the way of the space itself is enough the art is is all bonus after that yeah and it's like okay well what am i actually like is is this music i really fuck with and whatever which crypto rich was but like in future albums and stuff like totally. you got to make sure you do that i totally hear you yeah i mean i think that's one of my best things that i do really well is that i can make the music around a particular concept that's still really dope entertaining music it's funny it goes back to my genesis of making the jordan belfort song right, right. like it's like it's like that song was big because the music's pretty good and it's definitely a banger but like the concept made it big and so i've seen that when there is a story driving the success yes. of music it is very much having longevity and having a a organic natural exponential growth over time because the story is driving the music rather than some kind of algorithm hype or some kind of tiktok trend you have a song that's driven by a story that is independent of the song so jordan belford's song is driven by wolf of wall street movie which has a life of its own yes now crypto rich is the same thing because crypto rich album is this dope album the music's dope but it's also driven by the story of crypto and the success of crypto and my story and so i think that as just like with wolf of wall street why didn't this the song blow up in year one why because nobody knew the movie most people did not see the movie at the end of year yeah, one, I, yeah, I don't know about that. A lot of like, I saw that shit in theaters. That like, yeah, that but, shit was still, but it was still. Well, popular. that's why you probably knew the song before the average. I didn't. I I learned okay. I learned the song like a month. Eh. Actually, I can't even remember if it was during senior senior week. I I don't I don't. Yeah, even but remember. that that's nothing because when you really think of it, like most people didn't know this song until years like there's people who just found out about the song in 2020 yeah, the song, and 2019 yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot and and so 
but there's a lot. It's not just some. Like because, like we're getting uh, millions of streams per month now. So think about that. Like the first year and a half, like we got a million streams, and so it's true that like people in the in crowd kind of knew it early. But when you think about the actual long term growth of it, I would say that it really had like proliferated the growth with the over growth time of the, of the sure. music you know yeah. so i do think crypto will be the same way where like as more people get familiar with the concepts of crypto and the story of crypto that gives crypto rich album more room to run and it's like how the jordan belfort song pretty much only had as much room to run as like the people knowing the movie. I mean, sure, some people heard the song before they heard the movie. I've heard rare cases of it where someone goes, oh, wow, I had no idea that song was about this movie. But the most common thing is that people liked the song because they knew the movie. And so I think that as time goes on, people will like Crypto Rich because they understand the story of crypto and the album's significance within that story. So I don't know. That's just kind of something I think about how the music can grow with the story instead of growing with the hype of like, you know, the algorithm or just the song being hyped on. Did I did I see that Jordan's getting into NFTs too? Yeah, man, (laughs) dude, dude. I told when I was on his podcast two years ago, I said, "Hey, Jordan, I made this song called Crypto Rich. It's about crypto and NFTs." Ah, Bitcoin's a scam. Really? Crypto's a scam. Yep. He on his podcast. That. Yep. I, I was trying to show him Crypto Rich. This is like 2019. It's really a scam. I got to tell you. Dude. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's 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 funny because he kind of like brushed right over it when I was trying to tell him about Crypto Rich and trying to be like, yo, like this is a cool follow like, this is a cool follow up for Jordan Belfort's song. Like I'm, but he was probably more thinking like, ah, crypto, that's a scam. And now, now he's just making another follow up scam song. But now Jordan Belfort's big into NFTs and into crypto and also big into ducking my calls. <laughs> oh, no. So any, But no, I've hit him up a few times and tried to be like, yo, we need to connect. But seriously, if there's anyone that should own my NFTs, it's the guy that's already integrally connected to my career. True. Um, but anyway, you That know, song made him, like, he was already on the way to pop culture fame, given the nature Leo played him in a hit movie. But that song put a fucking visual on it like crazy there's no doubt about it yeah i mean definitely so yeah he's into nfts and crypto now and i think somewhere (laughs) along the way he will realize like who i am and what i've done in the space but i don't know i'm i'm one thing that feels nice is i'm getting to this uh with the twitter thing like I'm settling into this place where it's like, all right, like maybe I don't need like anything. Like maybe, maybe I don't need any of this shit. Like maybe I can just like keep making my music at home and like having, you know, doing things my way and sell to my audience. And maybe I don't need, you know, Jordan Belfort to buy my NFT or I don't need a, you know, a label to do something for me. Like that's kind of the dream. Right. And, and what's cool about radio is like part of the dream is like, I took a trip to LA, uh, like two a week or two ago and i was there for a week and then i was hosting my radio from la Mm. so it's not just like music nft radio coming to you live from philly it's music nft radio coming to you live from wherever i am so Mm. it was pretty cool to be like hey we're in la for the first time and so like i was telling everyone on radio like my my vision is like imagine that day when i'm on a beach and i'm just like hey it's music nft radio i'm coming at you from the bahamas just (laughs) hosting on a beach like i just think that's cool and it's completely like an inversion of how the radio works 
networks because right now there's no there's no radio that's coming at you live from wherever the the star like host is or whatever it's just like hey we're coming at you live from philly or whatever um so i do think that's cool because also the dynamics of it like we had um one of our uh moderators and co-hosts was at smokers fest in la and smokers fest and so we were just thinking about like he could go around like talking to artists, interviewing artists, like playing them on radio from his phone too, like into the live listeners. And we were just thinking about it, like how this can be like the future of like putting an artist on the radio when you're live in person with them. So mm. it could be like, hey, I'm here with Dill. Like you could literally like, he could walk around with his phone in like the artist area and interview artists one by one on the radio and have like hundreds uh, of people listening, have like hundreds of people listening, right? So. Yeah, we're just thinking of like the future of this and it's something that's so different. So like every day we're just realizing things. And that's the other thing. It's like I'm have you fi- I'm sorry, real fast. Have you figured out a way to also do high quality audio of yourselves talking? Yeah. It's like yeah, it's it's but not only for me because other people aren't going to have the setup I have. I know. So I'm saying like only for the people who are hosting. Yeah. But like you have a mic. Yeah, we can. We can. I, I'm usually the only one that does. So, because you need cool. you need a mic set up to do that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it is pretty cool. It gives you really high quality, and you know, we're just kind of building this out of what we think and what works best. But one thing I've realized is like, we're almost we're we're on our way to a thousand hours now of hosting radio, and like, it takes a long time to figure out all these stupid little things. And a lot of it is stupid little, oh, I should I should click that button when I do this because that's the damn way the app works right now, right? Yeah. We know that from doing like TikTok or something where it's like, oh, you got to do this thing. And then next week they update, you got to do something else. Yes. And there's like always like some kind of glitch that you're working around. Like, oh, I know if I do this thing, it's going to glitch. So I have to avoid that thing. So it's all this random stuff for using an app, right? That we're all used to this because we know it from like TikToks and stuff. So... There's a ton of stuff on Twitter spaces where it's just like some random thing about using the app that has now become like my guarded secret. Have you thought about or not thought about? Have you heard about any rumors about changes to the product with Elon taking over now? That's a or good new question. Um, no, but I'm so bullish on Elon and and what he does. Like I, I've been holding wild. Tesla for a while. As soon as he announced the bid on Twitter, like when it was just a random tweet, I instantly bought Twitter stock. Like I I I bought on that move. Like wh- when he first tweeted that he wanted to buy Twitter, I think a lot of people thought it was a joke, but I just thought it was serious because it was. <laughs> and I was I mean I was right. I saw him make this offer on Twitter. I'm like yo. I'm, I agree with him. So I bought a bunch of Twitter stock, and then a few days later, whatever, it came out that that was actually going to be real. What's your opinion on that whole thing? I think it's amazing. I think Elon Musk is our best chance of having like a free speech uh, social media. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be like black and white. Obviously, I don't think he's going to come in, and then Twitter's completely free speech. But I think that Elon Musk, to me, is the best example of like someone that I think actually is going to try to move it towards free speech. And he also has the right um, ingredients of like a fuck it attitude. Like yes. he, 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 he is, he can actually tell anyone in the world to fuck off. He doesn't have to like worry about getting, you know, funding from this next, you know, person who's going to have some certain agenda. Like he actually has, uh, Except that the kind US of government a little bit. He, yeah. There is, there, like when you look at, and this is my theory, but like when you look at the Bitcoin thing in April 2021, when he sent out those tweets, 
that was someone tapping him on the shoulder going oh you still want that funding you're gonna yeah. send out this little yeah tweet. i mean the no you got the you it. got the government for sure that you gotta worry about but at the same time i don't think the government is inherently no the government is pro free speech on some level i think that on on a constitutional and law level you know, oh, the, the government is is technically pro free speech. Now you could but also the people that occupy it right the now people seem that, to be having some trouble with that. True, but it, anyway, what it comes down to is, I think Elon Musk is the right person to fight the battle, and I do think because of his financial position and his status in a lot of other things, he can actually do what he wants in a way that's that's uh, more powerful than somebody who is, you know, a hired CEO that is just trying to keep their job as CEO and satisfy the board, right? Elon is more like a independent entrepreneur who just came and bought the whole thing. And yep. sure, he's going to have to satisfy the board and satisfy the government, but at least he won't be as easily swayed by some of the things that I think have created a negative culture in Twitter. It's a, it's a very brave thing he's doing because the the rage of the machine that he is opening himself up to. I mean, he already had it to an extent. Whenever you're yeah. the richest guy in the world on paper, he already had it. But Elon didn't control areas of the court of public opinion, you know, the the court of speech. And he is now bought into one of those main pillars, which Twitter is absolutely one of them. And we have a weird world where there's a disconnect between elites trying to do what they think is for the common good some of them some of them are just fucking evil people versus what human nature shows is the result of things over time and to make that way more in english it's like there's a lot of speech that's maybe not on twitter right now that i don't like at all right because it's it's horrible shit and it's like yeah and selfishly i'd never like to fucking hear that i'm glad it's not there the problem is when when you look at human nature we know that it never stops there once you give people the power to remove that or say mm -hmm. like oh you can't talk they never stop at that person then yeah. they go to someone else and then and lesser and less it's a slippery slope scenario you go right down it with cresco oil and we have seen that you see ridiculous shit get banned or get accounts banned or get flagged and it's like it started to feel like i i know people overuse it all the time but it, it started to feel like you know some fucking weird futuristic movie where there was like the, right. some you know truth tellers above you telling you what the truth is and it's like well no that's not that's not what we need so what's bizarre is that any other time the richest man in the world would buy a pillar of the public square on like that idea on paper, it would horrify me. On the one hand, it does, and I'm gonna hold him on. I'm, look, I'm a fan of Elon Musk, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a fanboy. I will. I, I appreciate what he's doing. I like him. I will keep him honest to it. Like if he doesn't do things I don't like, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, oh, it's Elon. Fuck it, we'll go with it. Like there's a lot of fanboys. I don't like that. But even though he is the richest man in the world, buying that right now and that idea horrifies me. I also simultaneously think our world is so fucked up right now that it's one of the best things to happen in the yeah, last five years. Agree. Totally agree. And I would say that the only problem with that comparison is that Elon did not buy the the right and free town square poll. He bought the goddamn swamp that has already been swamped with so much censorship and stuff. So I think the way I look at it is it's not like he was just buying the free speech thing in town square. It's like he's buying the swamp. So like, in my opinion, 
someone like him, knowing his goals and energy, at least uh, assuming that, you know, he's honest and has the goals that he states he has, then I think that he could only improve the situation there. Yeah. And and that's genuinely how I see it. And also, I do, I do see him as having, like, the right attitude and the right energy. I mean, he's talked about free speech a lot. He's talked yeah. about how that's one of his goals. I, I think based on what he says and the things that he tweets, he's a supporter of free speech. And also, Great. what I like about him that is so apparent in his tweets and also so apparent in the move to purchase Twitter is that... He doesn't think inside the box. He doesn't follow the rules. Like, just, I know it's so simple, but just the fact for him to think, I'm going to buy Twitter, <laughs> like, is a fucking genius level. Mm. Like, because like, most people just go, oh, Twitter's banning me, you know, screw that, you know, whatever. Trump, Trump got banned on Twitter, okay? But Elon Musk is like, you know, towing maybe towing the line between getting banned on Twitter with the SEC. I mean, not really banned on Twitter, but we could say that, right? So well, now he won't. <laughs> right, yeah, and so now the dude just says, I'm going to buy Twitter. Yeah. And so I love that outside-of-the-box thinking. And I think if you just read through Elon Musk's tweets, you realize that the dude says stuff that comes from genuine creativity. And, mm. and, and a lot of, uh, like... It's just when some, to me he's proved to, he proves to me that what he does and the way he acts comes from more or oftentimes comes from a sense of genuine creativity rather than just you know saying what the court of public opinion wants to hear or saying what he thinks people want to hear. You know he'll tweet some shit that is like to yeah. me hilarious. He that don't give a fuck. Ain't nobody wanted to hear that, <laughs> but damn, he's right, and yeah. that's what that's what is convincing to me when someone's able to say things that's like. Nobody wanted to hear that necessarily, but damn, he's right. Or even just like, dude, it cracks me up like to see this multi, you know, huge billionaire, the richest man on earth. He posts a picture of Bill Gates looking fat as shit because Bill Gates fuck, fucking nagged him. And he says, he says, if you want to lose a boner fast, look at this. <laughs> I'm just like, dude, this guy doesn't give a fuck. And that is who I want running Twitter. So that's the end of that story. Yeah. And, and people are showing their ass right now. The people who are, who are hysterically complaining about it are just showing that they just, they want to be able to ban things that they don't like. And again, it never stops at the stuff that I right. would agree with them. I don't like it either. You can't fucking do that. Right. Like when people talk about Steve Bannon or Kathy Griffin, the latter of whom was not banned, those people should have been banned because that wasn't free speech, what they did. Like Steve Bannon, avid, I'm not going to repeat what he did, but he he called for direct harm and death to public figures you can't do that kathy yeah. griffin did the same thing holding trump's head in her hand in a fucking picture she should have been banned for that that's not free speech unfortunately if someone and, and as fucked up as this is but if someone says like hateful language to other people it is free speech punish them in the public square by laughing at them and saying what a fucking dumbass let the law of average like like again yeah, like if when art is bad people people prove it's bad because they don't go they don't go view it they don't go buy it they don't go listen to it same shit when speech is bad people will prove it you look if you get three percent of society that wants to run around and say something fuck it let them do it it's three percent of them you know what i mean like they're not gonna then as long as you keep it in the open where we can all see it it's not gonna spread when you make it hide underground and tell them they can't do it well now people now people want to touch now people <laughs> yeah. want to see now people totally. want to know totally you i mean you can't have it like that man
Also, this just goes to show, I think, why the move was so genius again. Because it's like, for this guy, it's like, he's got so much money, like 50 billion or whatever it is, just to prove all of your hypocrites and show, and just to point out exactly who's a hypocrite. Because in my opinion, Elon Musk has has done this the right way in, in so many ways. So anyone who's pointing at him as something negative, to me, as a reasonable, I like to think I'm a reasonable guy. I'm like, if you got a problem with this Elon Musk stuff, I'm looking at you funny because yeah. I want to see what what is your agenda? Like, what what could you possibly have to say that's wrong with wanting there to be more free speech? I've still been looking for criticism that has real merit since he bought it, and none of it has that I've seen. It's all been politically mo- motivated of people who feel threatened by the fact that suddenly they can't control what's on there and what's not anymore. And it's like, all right, man. You know, and and it becomes something that's not a left and right thing. They will be anything. It doesn't matter what direction you're in at some point. Like right now, obviously, it skews more right, but like it will be anything that is not according to the exact standards of whatever the public speech is supposed to be. And that is a fucked up world I don't want to live in. So, you know, I'm rooting for him. And and again, like I'm going to hold him to the things he says. And that's that's all we can do. But so far, you know, Looking at the earliest days of, of, of the reaction to it, I think it's a very necessary reset button, no pun intended. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think there needs to be free speech. People need to be able to say what they want, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know why people don't want free speech or think sh- things should be controlled like that. I mean, I, I just think that's super problematic for so many reasons. So that's where I stand on that. And I know as a person, like, I, you know, my goal, I guess, is to be one of those guys who's like so successful, but I'm still me. Like, I'm still on my Twitter. And one of the, you know, one of the most, contra- like, you'll see with, you know, you see it with Elon Musk, you see it with Kanye West, you see it with Donald Trump. These guys who control their own social media and don't have anyone filtering their stuff, Mm. they get a very polarizing reaction. And, like, I personally think all that, like, you know, I mean, not like there's no political affiliation. Like, what, whatever, anything that's like super filtered and like everything they're saying is like super filtered and in line with like some fucking bullet list of like what their public opinions are supposed to be like right. I, when i see this stuff i'm like so so lame you can like, read right I, through I think it too. i i read right through it but then i also realized that like the average person is like probably gonna like look at that bullet list and be like oh yeah i agree with that i agree with that i That's agree with works. that and and yeah. and meanwhile i look at a, a, a elon musk pick put it putting a picture of bill gates and saying <laughs> way to lose a boner fast i'm like whatever that guy says i like that guy so yeah, this is a different that, yeah. way of seeing the world yeah. i don't know i i just like and that, that energy. and that's a, you got to remember people on the other side like that's of, of, of the equation where they're looking at the bullet list of whatever it is you're talking about and they're agreeing with it that's what they do so that's what i'm saying i don't want to fall in the trap of like anything someone says but like yeah when he posts a funny picture like that it's it's funny like it's a humor in life bill gates is an asshole i enjoy (laughs) laughing at that guy you know so like it is what it is but anyway man i gotta piss yeah this this has been a fun conversation i'm i'm happy to see you growing in in the nft space with with music because you're you're leading the way in a lot of ways with with the ways to monetize this and the radio concept is really really fucking cool I think that's got a lot of fucking potential. I mean, really, I think that we can keep growing this radio. It's like, imagine when we hit 1,000 people, 10,000 people. There's no limit. You could have a million people in Twitter space. And then it's like, when I and now I'm I'm really ahead of the game right now. So it's like, 
if I keep building this platform, I think the labels will be coming to me. And they'll be saying, how do you sell NFTs? How do you make NFTs? How do you do this? So that's kind of what I'm pushing for. It's like, I see the value. Now I can really see clearly the value of the internet and social media. I mean, it's all so related, right? We're in this yeah. conversation about Twitter, Elon yeah. Musk. What are all these things related to? It's that you have direct to audience power. And someone like Elon Musk has made billions and made a fortune and and still goes direct to his audience and that is so powerful it's so powerful in fact that people try to shut it down because when you can speak directly to your mm. audience okay it's it, it takes gives the middleman out it takes the middleman out and there's some people that don't like that kind of power and and they want more control over the way things happen, right? They want to be able to say, "Hey, you, Elon Musk, you're you're our CEO. You're only allowed to say this bullet list of things." But I believe in the people who are able to, you know, break past that and say, "Hey, this is really about communicating with people directly." And as long as they're not hurting anyone, yeah, you can post a picture of Bill Gates and say, "Lose a boner." That's funny as shit. <laughs> On that note. On that note, thanks for coming in, brother. Great yeah, thank you. you, man. This was great. All right. Everyone else? You, everyone. Oh, I'm like, words are hard right now. Everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to it. Peace. <laughs>